Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Nick and Manny's Infinite Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Manny. I almost called myself Nick, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> um, Nick, how are you? What's up? I'm I'm Manny. Uh, that's Nick over there. Uh, I lagged immediately on, on our Discord call just now, so I don't know how long you held on to that, guys, but it, it seemed like a long time, even though I didn't hear any of it. It was a decently long time. Okay. I feel like that would get clipped out, but um, <laughs> decently long time. You know, it was it was a couple seconds. It was long, nice and long. It was long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, guys, we're immature. We have the minds we of are. fourth graders. Yeah, but we we never grew up. No, we never did. We, you know, I sort of feel like we're the podcast version of Blink One Eighty Two's "What's My Age Again" because <laughs> we're still very childish, even though we're supposed to be adults. And I'm twenty three, and they say nobody likes you when you're twenty three. And that's the time of, and that's about the time that bitch walked. What's the what's the lyric? Okay, first one is that's about the time she about walked, time away, she walked from away from me. And yeah, then and when then he's talking to like, her mom, it's that's, that's about the time that bitch, hung, that up bitch hung up on me. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah. See guys? that's not even one of my favorite Blink songs, but I do know that. And I usually know the lyric. I just don't know why I didn't this time. <laughs> so I guess I'll get my Blink card revoked. Yeah, you're not a real fan. Yeah, I haven't listened to all their music. I'm not a real fan, guys. I like Blink in general, but I haven't done the deep dive like you have. But we're here. You know, it's funny that we're starting off with Blink because we both had that thing happen this morning um, that you didn't care about, but that I actually did care about, which was the announcement of that music festival that's happening in Vegas in October. For those who are unaware... There is a music festival, I think it's called When We Were Young, that's the name of the event that's happening, mm-hmm. where it's bringing together a lot of the musical acts that would have been at something like Warp Tour back in the mid-2000s, like Paramore, My Chemical Romance, Pierce the Veil, All American Rejects, a lot of these bands that I grew up listening to because of my brother and sister, but that I do genuinely enjoy. And I was sharing this funny photo because back in November of 2020, when the elections were happening and we're not getting political or anything like that, but someone photoshopped a tweet of Joe Biden saying, I'll bring back Warp Tour. (laughs) And I have been holding on to that since November of 2020. I remember when I saw that photo, I posted it and I said, sorry, guys, but Biden's got my vote just as a joke because Warp Tour, who's going to bring back Warp Tour? But lo and behold, during his administration, there is a Warp Tour like event happening where all of these bands are coming back together. It's one show for 12 hours and it's going to be exciting. I don't know if I'm actually going to go, but for everyone else who is, I'm sure they're going to have a great time. It seems like a big deal. Like it wasn't just in our Discord that people were excited for it. Like I looked on Twitter, and within like five minutes, I had like thirteen thousand likes and a and just about that many quote tweets. It's a big deal because a lot of those bands are bands that people from a, of a certain age and even people younger like you hold very dear to their hearts. I was talking to friend of the sh- friends of the show, Steph and Amy. We were talking about this because I sent it to Steph. I was like, Steph, Warp Tour is back, and she's like, Is it actually Warp Tour or is it this event that I'm seeing? And I told her, it's this event. 
So we were saying, all right, so me, Steph, and Amy, we're all going to go to Vegas in October. We're going to go see all these bands that all three of us really enjoy. Because when we're playing video games together, like if we're having a Stardew Night or Mario Party or Mario Kart or anything like that, that's the music that we'll put on. We'll put on that kind of pop punk early 2000s rock music that we all enjoy. So, yeah, like you were saying, it wasn't just in our Discord because the first thing that I saw was uh, the Paramore tweet saying, hey, guys, we're really excited to announce that we're going to be doing this event, which I was like, OK, so, yeah, Paramore said that they're doing new music. I'm sure that this has something to do with that. It'll be another concert. But I didn't look into the actual event. So maybe like 30 minutes later, we got the message in the Discord with the poster of all the bands that were going. So that was really fun. But yeah, it's not just an hour Discord thing. Everyone, everyone that grew up with these bands, I'm sure, has been freaking out and is ready for those pre-sale tickets, which by the time that this episode comes out, the tickets will have already been out in the public. But as of right now, they come out on Friday. So it's it's exciting stuff. Today was a very busy news day, to say the least. <laughs> oh yeah, we're about to talk about some video game news as well. But yeah, this was this is a big deal. Like I'm I'm excited for people because I thought Warp Tour was still happening, like at least pre-COVID. I didn't know if it was or wasn't still happening, but this is basically that, but on a bigger scale. It is in the fact that it's happening all in one day, whereas Warp Tour would be, you know, a couple days here, a couple days there throughout the entire year that Warp Tour would be happening. But this is all one day that I was shocked to see it was all one day me too with all those bands there like people are gonna have to pick and choose and they won't be happy about that that's one issue I foresee is that people will have to pick and choose and they will not be happy yeah I think the two headliners from what I've seen have been My Chemical Romance and Paramore they're the two biggest names on the poster by far in terms of literal font size yeah which means that they're the headliners so I'll be interested to see if they're the ones that close the show here's Paramore, here's My Chemical Romance, and they're just back-to-back on the same stage. Or if they are going to do, like, the Coachella thing of there's three stages, here are the three finishers or whatever to end off the show. But, yeah, it's three stages, so many bands that are going to be there, but I'm sure a lot of people are going to have to make a couple cuts. But it's exciting. If I had a more concrete schedule and financial situation i would definitely not question just buying tickets but because i don't i've been talking with my brother about if we do want to go to that one as well because we're going to see foo fighters in february as of right now we're seeing foo fighters in february i got Mm -hmm. the tickets i got the ups tracking label saying that my tickets are being shipped to my house so oh did you buy physical tickets yes well when we bought them online, they're physical versions of it. So mm. so we're seeing them in February as of right now. God but willing. Yes, God willing. No COVID stuff happens. None of the pandemic closes it down. Hopefully we are seeing them in February, all things considered. But outside of that, that's a two-day event and we're paying less than this one. That's a one-day event. <laughs> so it's... Pricing is definitely a big thing because Vegas is not cheap, which I'm sure yeah. you have discovered while trying to plan WangerCon and see where you're going to stay. 
yeah, well, I was looking, I got a, a Southwest gift card for Christmas, which will help alleviate Winger Kong costs a little bit. But I was looking at flights and the flight actually won't be that bad, especially if I book a little bit closer. It's not as terrible as I thought, which would mean I have a little bit more more money to spend elsewhere. But uh, I've never planned a trip like this before for myself. So it coming out of my own pocket is something I'm not used to. So on the surface, I'll be like, yeah, paying for food's not that terrible. Paying for a hotel is not that terrible. Paying for whatever else, drinks, whatever, not that terrible. But then you add them all together. It's like, oh, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of dough uh, all at the same time. Plus Uber costs, whatever. That's a lot that gets added up. And I'm not looking forward to what's the word? The postmortem on my wallet after after WangerCon. I'm not looking forward to that. No, I wouldn't be looking forward to that <laughs> either. I've been fortunate that I haven't had to pay for a lot of those kinds of trips the most has been the Foo Fighters concert which I paid for my tickets but even then my sister's paying for the bus fare to go there and back mm. and I'm staying with my brother who's going to be paying for you know where we're staying so I've not had to pay that much but I'm sure it's it's, it's terrible it's hard just even looking at like trying to buy groceries and you're yeah. like oof this was that much just for this you recently had a washer fluid change in your car and i'm sure even that was like oof this was that was actually wallet. i don't think i updated you guys uh that was actually less than i thought than i thought it would be i feared it would be a more difficult fix they just had to replace a part it was like 60 60 bucks that was it hey, so nice. it really really wasn't that terrible um but yeah ad- adult purchases they will accumulate very quickly like i've got i'm not going to disclose how much my student loans plus my uh, car payment and insurance combined will be once the student loans start back up whenever that actually ends up being uh but it's a lot so you got i have to get a good job to uh to cover that because it's more than the average person pays out of pocket for that stuff uh so again adulting fuck all of it yeah like i had to buy my books for school and even that was something that I'm like, I don't really want to pay for these books that I'm not going to read and that I'm not going to actually keep or find useful for the rest of my time here. But because they say required, and I know some of these teachers really do mean, hey, it's required, even if we're only going to read it once and then never look at it again. But even just looking at those kinds of purchases, I'm like, oh, I hate this. I really do. It's funny that you talk about college textbooks because literally the most use I've gotten out of my college textbooks are that I've stacked two of them here to set my microphone on for this podcast. That was more use than I got out of them in college. Yeah, I'm sure of that. There were a couple books that were like that for me where I'm really just like, all right, so you're just here to hold something down <laughs> or for me to write on. Yeah, I, I need I need something to elevate my microphone just a little bit. That's You're perfect for this job. I'm so glad I held on to you. Yeah, there are some of them where I'm like, all right, once I'm done with school, I'm going to sell you. Because I do not want to have you just laying around. I don't want to give them to Goodwill, but I might just list them online and be like, hey, give me 50 bucks for this book, which, you know, I'm a grifter when it comes to selling (laughs) things. But whatever, if they'll pay for it, they'll pay for it. And that's perfectly fine. Yeah. The shitty thing for me was that uh, I would always at the end of semesters or the school year, I would do our bookstore on campus does textbook buyback and they would they bought most of them back for me. A few they didn't. But I had a few that I hadn't been able to take the previous semester. So at the end of the semester I was currently in my last semester of senior year, I was going to take them in and sell them. And then COVID hit and then I had to move back home. So I just had all these extra books lying around. So this is the first time I made use of them, really. Otherwise, I would have sold them two years ago and walked away with a little like it's not obviously if you're if you're selling something back, you're getting it for uh, much less than you paid for it. But it still would have been a nice chunk of change. It would. Money's money. 
guys money is money. even if it's a couple bucks we appreciate it and that's mm-hmm. all that really matters well i guess while we're talking about school and stuff hey guys i'm back at school Yay. um the semester has started i'm back um we are at the time of recording this i'm in my second week of school and i guess here's an announcement i'm directing my capstone film let's go so that's a lot of stress just put on me because we had a lot of changes happen within our group at first we had me just editing the film and we had a different director and different dp and then one of the teachers was like oh no let's make this person director and this person dp and then we're like um okay and then one person left the group to go dp for another film project so we're like um okay and then we had one of our other i think we had our original director go become an editor for another capstone so we're like oh okay so we really got whittled down i think it was five of us at the start and now it's three of us Hmm. and i was messaged out of the blue saying hey so we don't have this person do you want to direct you've done a good job in the past with this and that blah 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 um, so do you want to do it? And I texted Nick, actually. I was like, hey, do I direct this? And Nick was confused. He's like, wait, what? And I explained everything to him. And he was like, yes, just do it. You'd be an idiot not to. So I'm directing our capstone film. It's it's stressful and exciting at the same oh, yeah. time. Yeah, no, I'm sure it is. And, you know, part of me telling you to go for it was like, for one, you don't want your first real you don't want your first experience on of something like that to be in the real world when it's something you're being potentially paid for and you don't know what the fuck you're doing. This is a good crash course as far as that goes, even though obviously you still want to do your best. It's also just a learning experience and you'll obviously learn a lot from it. Um, for me, it was I again, COVID messed my senior year up really badly. Um, in one of my classes, I was going to be directing the short that we were doing for our post-production class and the week before that we were going to film was when everything got shut down. So I didn't get to do that. So that was, you know, not something I could control, but that was a little, I guess, regret isn't the right word. Something that I'll always wish I could have done because that would have been experience that I could have gotten at school before I was out in the real world. And the fact that I don't have that kind of sucks. And I'm glad you get the chance for that. It's going to be stressful. You're going to hate it. Um, At least at the time, you'll look back on it fondly, I hope. But, you know, in the moment, it's going to be really stressful, but you'll get through it. Yeah, and I doubt that my teammates are listening to this, which is totally fine. But if you are, um, I have a great team. There are people that I've worked with in the past, so we sort of have a, not relationship with each other, but we have like an understanding of the way that the other person works and we're, we know of each other rather than just being thrown into random groups like some classes probably do, but they're great. So far, we are getting ready to start doing casting. Um, we're trying to lock down some locations. So all that stuff is getting rocked and ready to roll. And then we start shooting the second week of February. And we're doing two weeks, two weekends of shooting. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's picture lock and sound editing away. Oh, the fun stuff. Yes. Oh, I, I should also say I am also co-editing the movie as well. So ah. it's that thing of there's so there's so little of us working on this film that we're yep. going to divvy. We're going to double up on roles. Yeah. So our producer, we're all sort of producing the movie because we've been in contact with each other for a lot of it. And we're not just leaving one person out of the loop. We're sort of keeping everyone involved. Which is a good thing because you don't want to just have someone be the only person in the know. But 
yeah, it's exciting directing one film and then for another class, I'm a production producer's assistant, assi- assistant producer, assistant Pro- producer, production assistant. Oh, no, different. no, no not production okay. assistant, assistant producer. That's what it is. Okay. So I'm not a producer, but I'm, I guess, being taken under the wing of a producer mm-hmm. is, the word, is the way to say it. But I'm working closely with a producer, which seems to be more of what I want to do than directing. But that's also exciting for this year. Well, I would also say, again, while you're in school, it's good to do these things. It's good to do as many different jobs as you can while you're in school. So you actually know what you prefer. So I would I'd be like, I would not turn down any different type of job. So the fact that you're doing that and directing and your editing that you've done before is all good because you at least... You're going to be informed enough when you decide which path you want to really go down. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be offered a lot of different roles and positions and stuff, and I haven't turned a single one of them down so (laughs) far. So that's been, I guess, a positive is that I've continued to just push myself. But other than that, classes, they're classes. You know, we've started and I'm not looking forward to some of them. Actually, most of them I'm looking forward to. So far, there hasn't been a class that I've been dreading other than schoolwork, which has always been a downfall for me. Not a downfall, but my least favorite part of school is always the schoolwork aspect of it. But being more hands-on this semester, hopefully, should alleviate that. Yeah, it sounds like you'll be stressed, but I'm sure you'll have a shit ton of fun. And I hope you do. And I'm sure you'll yes. turn out good work. Yeah, no, it should be should be good. I'm ready to be done with school. But you know what I'm not ready to be done with? Video games. This morning, boy, oh boy, was there an announcement this morning. But before we get to the big Xbox news, is there any games that you've been playing lately? I have not been playing pretty much anything worth mentioning. Um, I finished Artful Escape, so I just, you know, we talked about that with our best of 2021. But other than that, I have not been playing anything of note. I think the next thing is Rainbow Six Extraction, which I think I'm going to be playing with friend of the show, Max. I think I'll be playing that with him. But other than that, there's nothing on my end. So if you got anything, throw it out there. Yeah, I think uh, speaking of Extraction, I think I saw Is that going to be on Game Pass day one? Yeah, baby, it's a Game Pass game. Okay, Xbox Game Pass, uh, Daddy Phil, all that. Um, I saw that, I think, on the store and it, and it said installable with Game Pass. I was like, oh, no shit. I yeah, that was comes not out aware. Thursday, the twentieth. Oh, okay. So it's almost here. Well, then, well, I might give it a shot then. They announced it last week or the week before, but huh. that cool. is on Game Pass, which seems to be getting extra value soon. Mm, yeah, yeah. We can. I, I think uh, what I've been playing, we will have a longer discussion about. We can talk about the big news of the day right now. All right. So this morning, I woke up to. Um, I checked our Discord like I usually do because Mm -hmm. I love seeing my phone have like three icons on the front and then say (laughs) plus 14. So that's always what I love waking up to. But I woke up, I was going through the channels, I checked video games, and I see this message that says Microsoft buys out Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion. Almost nice. It was so close to being nice. It was so close to being nice. Um. (laughs) This is a big purchase. For context, they bought Bethesda, which was their biggest purchase to date, for $7.5 billion. Which clarifies, almost... they bought the entire parent company that includes Bethesda 
for seven point yes, five yes, billion they, dollars. They bought, yes, they bought Zenimax. My correction. They yeah. bought Zenimax, which is all of BGS, which is Bethesda Game Studios. That's Tango Game Works, Arcane, anything that Zenimax has done, or any of the companies that Zenimax 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 <laughs> owns. Microsoft now owns that. So they bought that for seven point five billion dollars, and then they said, "All right, we'll do you one better." And they bought all of Activision Blizzard, which is Activision, which holds High Moon Studios. It holds Sledgehammer, Infinity War, Treyarch, all of those studios. It holds Toys for Bob, which has been doing the Crash Bandicoot and Spyro remasters and the new game for there. Activision also owns Blizzard, which means that Microsoft now owns World of Warcraft, Diablo, Starcraft, anything that Blizzard has made. now. Overwatch, yeah. In theory... In theory, which we'll get to, owned by Microsoft. Um, King, which is Candy Crush, the Bubble Witch Sagas, any of those mobile games that your grandparents play on Facebook, uh, that's owned by Microsoft now too. Nearly $70 billion, which is actually a steal. Yeah, no, I was, um, people, I feel like, joked about Candy Crush being part of that. Do you know how much fucking money that game makes? Just Candy Crush, not even the other ones? Like, it's insane. They'll make most of their money, I think, from the mobile games. Legitimately. Yes, this is... And, and like, I, I want to emphasize how much Microsoft just, in theory, purchased. Because this still needs to get approved by the Board of Commissions for anti-compete uh, mm-hmm. laws to see if they will pass it. Which, the thing with Microsoft is... Microsoft is a huge company, right? We know them. They they can spend nearly $70 billion on something like this. But in regards to gaming, if this deal does go through, they would only be third in regards to revenue being um, brought in. So the way that people that don't play video games might see it is as, oh, they're the underdogs that are trying to compete with Sony and Tencent, who are the top two income revenue people that... People that make the top two most amount of income, if that makes any sense. They're, the top, new, they're the top two revenue generators as it specifically pertains to video games. Yes, that's that's the words. So this deal will, will most likely go through, but they'll still only be third in regards to revenue for gaming specifically. That's how far the gulf between Sony, uh, well, PlayStation and Xbox has been for the past couple generations. PlayStation consoles and software and controllers, all that stuff. The PS4 outsold the Xbox One by, I think, two and a half times, roughly, almost three times. And I'm guessing the PS5 is probably outpacing the Series X, even though those numbers are not readily available. And it's also not totally indicative because the uh, chip shortages have meant that people can't get their consoles as fast as they want to. But yeah, this is Microsoft, and at least in that regard, trying to play catch up to uh, to Sony in particular. And I guess when you have fuck you money like Microsoft has because they own Windows, you can do stuff like this. You can make Disney-like acquisitions of stuff, and they're just going to keep doing it, I think. Yeah, and we talk about them having money because of Windows, but it's also because of the cloud service that they provide. Like, that is actually a lot of the big moneymaker was when they went heavy into cloud-based services, and then when they changed Office to be subscription based that was the first real sort of switch in microsoft to where they started making a really big comeback 
And since then, they've been trying to apply that to all of their different departments, which we've seen with something like Skype, where if you have a certain amount of Skype dollars, you can do other things that other people can't. Or with Xbox and Game Pass. Now you're paying $15 a month to essentially rent games but you're getting access to them day and date, or you're getting access to a thousand games, let's say, or indie developers are being able to get their games seen more because Game Pass is seen as so lucrative. So Microsoft has been able to do that for however long that it's been a thing. I think Game Pass was 2017, 2018? Yeah, 2017 was like a soft launch. They didn't really start kicking into high gear until 2019. Yeah, 2019, and I remember because 2019 was when I first got it, and that was to play yep. Outer Worlds. Yep, exact same. Yep. I was always on the Game Pass train because I could see what they were trying to do, and I yeah. understood people's, not concerns, but they're sort of like, why do, Why am I going to pay for this if I already own this game? This game is so old, why am I going to do that? And at first, I would just say, well, it's for people that haven't played these games. If mm-hmm. you're a person that's new to the Xbox ecosystem, you can get Game Pass and you'll have access to Arkham Knight or whatever game was on there. Maybe it was Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Fallout 4 was the their, big, their big launch title, I think. 4, Fallout 4 was a big one on there. So you would have access to those games. But then, as the years kept going and you saw them get outriders you saw them get forza or halo or any of these other games that were on there all of the kingdom hearts games at one point were on game pass so once you start to see all this stuff you could see what they were trying to do and with all of the company acquisitions you can see this is what they're really focused in because if you i don't know if you read the report we were talking earlier that you had only read the headline pretty much yeah Game Pass has also reached 25 million subscribers, which 25 million subscribers paying $15 a month for a monthly service is huge, especially Mm -hmm. for something like gaming. Yeah, well, there is a $10 option, which is just Game Pass, not the ultimate with gold lumped in. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the split is. I imagine most of those subscribers are ultimate because it just makes more sense as a deal. Even then, a Game Pass Ultimate is, you know, Xbox Live and access to Game Pass PC and cloud gaming. If you just have Xbox Game Pass for... That's still $250 million a month just if everyone gets the $10 option. Exactly. And that's a lot of... That's a lot of money. Yeah, that's a consistent revenue stream. And I think that's the big point where, like, every major company realized that they could make this shift was that you could get a consistent revenue stream every month, which is why you start seeing it in pretty much every, like, all the streaming services that popped up from every conglomerate that are still popping up to this day. We're still getting new ones, but Disney started their own after Netflix did. Uh, You've got all the other ones, and it's because of that consistent revenue source. And, you know, part of me, I've always wondered about whether an individual title will actually bring in subscriptions to something at a certain point, like Netflix, for example, I don't think any one thing actually brings new subscribers into Netflix anymore. I think they just produce content because they know they have to have content on there. And I think that's also kind of what Xbox has become, where it's almost they want Game Pass to get to the point where it's too big to fail. And, you know, in time, it might uh, depends on how the sales of the of the next generation of consoles is going. I think they want to get to that point and they're getting fairly close, at least, you know, $250 million a month, you know, 12 months a year. That's I don't know how to do the quick math right there, but that's several billion dollars that you're just just getting from Game Pass. And that's not including the software sales that you also get from people who will buy games day one for 60 bucks or 70 bucks, whatever it may be. They're banking on having a consistent long term revenue source. And 
like I said, they've got fuck you money and they're doing everything they can to bolster that service. I would be shocked if, you know, the next wave of Activision and Blizzard games isn't on Game Pass day and date. Uh, they might get a little picky with it. I would be hard pressed to imagine that Call of Duty is not going to be sold for $70. I think Call of Duty might not actually come to Game Pass day one. I think they will all come eventually, but I think they will draw a line in the sand on stuff that they will actually just sell at retail. Yeah, and we talk about the money that Game Pass does bring in, but it's also important to recognize that all of this is pretty much at a loss for Microsoft. Yeah, Xbox and as a whole is at a loss for Microsoft, and it has it, been pretty much for its entire existence. Maybe they were profitable during the 360 era because the 360 did so well, but definitely every other generation of Xbox has been at a loss. Yeah, because it's important to recognize Microsoft had to pay for the licenses for the games. They might have to pay for them, you know, every month or they do a contract deal saying, you know, yeah. for this month, you get it for that much. They have to pay for the servers. They have to pay for hosting of any of these other things. So it is all mostly it's all at a loss. Microsoft isn't really making a profit from this, but they're creating an ecosystem where more subscribers and more users are staying in it because they won't remember to not pay for this month or whatever i do mm -hmm. the same thing with sony i pay for psn or playstation yeah playstation Network. playstation plus um, no no place yeah playstation plus is psn Play, okay. PlayStation network whatever but i pay for that and i barely turn on my playstation but they're mm -hmm. getting 10 bucks out of me every month for some reason because i'm too lazy to go in and fix the settings and say don't charge me for this amount of month yeah so you know that is a factor to bring in with that but the big thing with this deal is actually the fact that I kind of don't like it. And the main yeah. reason why I don't is because for those of you who are unaware, Activision Blizzard, for the last three years, I would say, mm -hmm. have been under a lot of fire for just bad workplace environment. Um, Bobby Kotick, who is the CEO, has fostered an environment of frat, frat like hazing, sexism, discrimination, all those kinds of things. And what this deal essentially does is that if he were to get fired right now, he would be leaving with $298 million. But this deal, eventually when he does leave, gives him an extra half a million dollars. And he just gets to leave and go and act like none of it ever really happened rather than facing the consequences truly, in my opinion. He's just sort of given a get out of jail free card to leave because he no longer has to be responsible for it because all the studios will be heading to Phil now because he will be the one overseeing any of the studios that they've bought. If it's Obsidian, Bethesda, now Activision Blizzard, they will be reporting to him. Mm -hmm. So that's what I don't like about it. But on the flip side of it is the thing of, well, this is a chance for them to change that culture hopefully but again that's the optimistic side of phil is gonna go in there and handle the situation head first which we won't know until the deal gets finalized we had that report a month or two ago when the stuff was really it might have been longer ago but when the activision stuff was really making waves we had that very vague statement from who i think it might have been phil spencer who was like we're evaluating our relationship with activision and at that point you have to know what's gonna what's coming microsoft xbox they knew what they were going to be doing in a few months time they knew it was going to get announced all that so they clearly had the ball in motion they had an idea of that they were going to do this now whether they have any plans to actually 
change things uh, internally there. I have no idea, but it does tell me that the ethical situation there, the workplace environment, all the bad things happening at, at Activision Blizzard weren't enough to just keep Microsoft away. They still have, obviously, business plans with them. They're not just going to acquire all this stuff and then shutter it. They're going to do something with it, and I don't know if that includes actually changing Activision Blizzard from within. I would hope it does, but also, even if it does, is that... <laughs> Is it is it worth Microsoft further monopolizing the gaming industry? Because they've done a lot of that in the last couple of years. And that's that's the more than anything, that's the part that worries me is that the industry is getting further monopolized. And if these companies that bigger and bigger companies that Microsoft is going after, like there's only so many companies that are bigger than this. And it might be Rockstar and Nintendo. And that's pretty much it. That concerns me. I find it funny that now people are having these concerns because I have had these concerns Pretty much since I have been anti-exclusive, I have voiced these concerns. Whether it's Sony or Microsoft, I have always said, you know, how is this good if this and that happens? And people are like, well, competition's good for uh, for developing and of all these things. Which, sure, but then you reach a point like this, which I have been saying for a long time would eventually happen if it was either Sony or Microsoft where there would be a monopoly because they're just outselling or outperforming in so many different ways. And so that's my little rant about that. But with regards to this deal in specific, um, there was the report, I believe it might have been also on the Xbox one, but they did have a statement basically saying, hey, we don't tolerate any kind of harassment and any of this stuff. So if we see it, we're attacking the root cause head on. That was reported. That was in the report today. We won't know until the deal goes through what that will mean for Activision Blizzard. If they just kick Bobby Kotick out, if Bobby Kotick just leaves, if they handle the workplace environment head on, we won't know any of that stuff until June 2023 is when yeah, it's expected to be. I was going to say, it's a year and a half before this actually goes through. Yes, which was similar to Bethesda. Bethesda mm -hmm. was maybe like nine months, maybe yeah. a year even, before we had any of that stuff. But this is a very big buyout. It does have a lot of implications that are now on Microsoft and Phil and the whole Xbox team of saying, all right, now you are responsible for these things. So you got to put your money where your mouth is. And I I think Nick and I have both said that we are not afraid to criticize Xbox. And I'm criticizing them for this because of mm -hmm. what they said a couple months ago. And now we're at this situation. I've seen people be the optimist of saying at least now, hopefully there can be the change now that Microsoft is in charge. And it seems that uh, in regards to workplace of the studios, they've been equal and they've been fair and they've been better than a lot of other studios. Even looking at the heads of the of the Xbox team, if it's Game Pass, if it's the marketing or anything like that, looking at that team, I believe over half of it is women and then also the diversity of people of color within that. So that's a small thing, but seeing half of the team of leaders be women at the forefront handling it at least shows that they're not going to be like some of these other well, shows that they currently are not like a lot of these other companies where it does promote you know, discrimination against women, gender, sexuality, race, any of that stuff. But we'll see once the deal is finalized what the change actually is. 
They've said as soon as the deal goes live, we're going to put Activision games on Game Pass. There are some <laughs> things that I guess I can look forward to if we get another Tony Hawk Pro Skater from the team that's working on it right now. I'd like another Spyro game. But at the end of the day, Activision was never a company that I really wanted them to buy. And this deal kind of just left a sour taste in my mouth. But throughout the day, I've sort of calmed down a little bit and said, this is the way that it is. This is what's happened. I don't like that Bobby Kotick is getting to just ride off into the sunset without true consequences, but that's the way that business works. So we'll see in June next year what the changes will actually be and how the workplace will change going forward. Yeah, I mean, the, the shitty thing is we can't do anything about it. Like everything happening here is so much bigger than you or I or any one person, really. You know, it's it's icky, like it's super icky. I I was mad when I saw the news, too. And I've had these reservations about Microsoft for, I mean, I don't even know how long, maybe like E3 2017, 2018, when their presentation started becoming, look at this indie studio that we bought. And those studios slowly started getting bigger at every E3 presentation. They bought Double Fine. They bought other studios like obviously Bethesda was a big leap forward in that regard and this is a company literally 10 times bigger in terms of uh, purchase value than bethesda was you could see the pattern that was forming you could see what they were doing i messaged you earlier saying they're basically just using cheat codes now because they're not making their own games they're just buying the people who make all the games because they couldn't cut it making their own games they got destroyed the last generation they lost a lot of money and they lost a lot of uh business to sony and and to nintendo i think to a certain extent with the switch doing so well they had to do something. This was what they decided to do. They decided to, you know, not work for it. They they threw their weight around and they brought everyone, everyone under their umbrella that they possibly could. And I don't think they're done here. I don't know how much bigger it really gets, um, but I feel like there's more to come in this regard. And I don't like the monopolization of the whole industry, because if you only have, you know, a couple big companies in power on a whim, they can just decide. It's like like that meme of Andy and Toy Story. I don't want to play with you anymore. I can see that happening to a lot of these smaller studios because there's only so much that, you know, one set of heads can handle under that umbrella. So that's something I fear happening. And this happened, you know, even in the 2000s when they bought Rare. I think people were excited when that happened initially, but they never really did much with them. Now they're stu they're just stuck doing Sea of Thieves forever because Sea of Thieves is, is a game that they can nickel and dime people for. You've seen this happen. I don't think it's necessarily out of passion that they've been buying all these studios. It's the fact that they finally want to see some good returns on Xbox. And they'll probably get those ultimately um, at a certain point if you harbor these games as exclusives and use them to bolster your Game Pass service. You will inevitably get better business at a certain point. We're human. We want to we want to do the things we want to do. People will want to play Call of Duty. And if they can only play Call of Duty on Xbox, then they'll get an Xbox. It's going to have the desired effect for them monetarily. It still feels icky to me. I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy necessarily about the state of the industry. You know, if there's a silver lining, hopefully this means that they can clean up Activision because I'm sure there are a lot of good people that work at Activision. They're the people that have been getting screwed over for the longest time. Hopefully that means better things for them. Hopefully it's financial stability. But I just worry about just I just worry about the future of the industry, I guess. And it gets a little bleaker every time we hear news like this. Yeah. But that's all of that news. Now for a game that you can play on Xbox Game Pass. Nick, <laughs> you finally played one of my favorite games of the last generation is one of my favorite stories told. And I'm very scared to hear what you have to say. G given just a little 
things that we've talked about uh, talked about it before um you have finally played jedi fallen order which was released by respawn in 2018 19. 2019 2019 in the fall of 2019 i finally played star wars jedi fallen order pretty much only because of you i had no desire to ever play this game you you yelled at me enough about it i'm like okay i'll try it i have some time off i can i can play it and i i think i gave myself like a week to get through it and i got through it in that week i beat the game fairly quickly within a few days i think it was about 15 hours all uh all told um what do you think i thought about it i think you thought it was fine um but you don't you still don't think that the lightsaber combat was good and that it doesn't entice you to play more of it and that you played it out of obligation to finish something that you started i think this game's very good i have issues with this game but i do think overall it's very good i will start with the gameplay i think it reminds me of red dead redemption 2 in the sense that the movement feels weirdly restrictive even in combat it still feels a little not as fluid as i would want it to be um i do i do enjoy the combat overall this is definitely it's a low bar to clear but it's definitely the best lightsaber combat i've had in a game it still feels a little hack and slashy to me and a little button mashy at times um you've got to time your counters right but otherwise it still feels kind of button mashy button mashy to me which was a little disappointing but the combat's fine uh the exploration is enjoyable all the worlds are pretty well designed it's you know it's it's kind of a platformer it's kind of a combat game i think it's paced pretty well in that regard you don't go too long without a fight uh, but you also get your time to explore the world or the worlds i should say because you're on up i think five or six different planets but yeah i think overall it's really solid is there anything you want to ask me about in particular so what did you think of the story Th- that's like the main oh, okay. thing because i i really enjoyed this story and it's a lot because I enjoy seeing stories about Jedi after Order 66. And so I liked a lot of the story regarding Cal. And I liked the way that they would use flashbacks to show like, hey, you're cut off from the force. Try to meditate and get back to that, to your training and those kinds of things. And I liked the ending. I know some people are like, well, I did all this for nothing. But at the end of the day, I felt it was very Star Wars in the way that they used the force to guide them. Yeah, it's a good like story reason for you to not remember how to force push, how to force grab. It's a yeah, it's a good story reason for you to acquire all your abilities as you go. Like what Metroid does every every Metroid game is that like when you crash your ship on wherever you are, you lose all your abilities and then the rest of the game is you picking them back up and getting stronger. It's the same type of uh structure here, but I at least like that they have a story reason for it and uh, every point you go back and learn a new ability is you in training with your master, you get a little bit of context as, uh, as to their relationship you actually feel him becoming more connected to the force again. And then the skill tree, it opens up more abilities for you. I like all that stuff. That's, again, a good story reason for all that stuff to happen. I think the story overall is pretty good. I don't I don't love it necessarily, but it's, it's sol- again, solid, I think, is the word. There's nothing I think is just outright groundbreaking or anything in this game, but there's nothing I thought was terrible. I think Cal, for the m- most of the game, I thought was just kind of okay as a protagonist. It took until probably... Um, should we talk about spoilers yeah we can talk about spoilers it's been two years i think nick says it's a it's a solid game that if you can play probably for cheap to play it um, yeah i I would have been fine if i i mean i would have been fine if i paid 60 bucks for this game ultimately like i've paid 60 bucks for worse games than this that i still enjoyed 
Um, this it would have been fine if I paid sixty for this, but if you have Game Pass or whatever, I think you can probably buy it for pretty cheap anyway. You can get this game um, for cheap any like anywhere. Yeah. I think PlayStation might be having a sale right now where it's fifteen bucks. Like mm-hmm. go go buy it. It's good. Yeah. I and I like supporting Respawn in specific because they've made games that I've enjoyed and I can feel their love for games in every project that they make. So buy Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, I'm I'm endorsing Jedi Fallen Order as a game. You you should go play it if you haven't. Um, although it it might not be for everybody, but that's that's something we can talk about in just a second. Okay, so going into spoilers now, I think the point where I finally got into Cal as a character was when he was constructing his lightsaber on Ilum. That was a story idea that I've always wanted to do in like Star Wars stuff that I've wanted to write or just in anything just in anything in the star wars world i've always wanted to see that is them constructing their lightsaber stuff like that so i'm glad i got to play through it and i think that was when it finally clicked for me like just cal as a character clicked for me that's the point where from that point on i was hooked in the story and obviously that's pretty late in the game and i still enjoyed my time before that but that was when it reached the next level for me and everything about him as a character works for me from that point on i think for most of it he's just you know he's like a totally fine video game protagonist it's very slow in the in how they reveal everything about his past and everything like that. I do think the Order 66 section of gameplay is an awesome little flashback section showing how he was trying to escape from the ship, how his master was helping him, and how he ultimately feels like he's responsible for the death of his master. Um, I think all that's good. The, him and uh, Seer, the guilt that ties them both together, I think is good thematically. Seer and uh, what's his name? Grizz? Grizz. Grease. <laughs> yeah, I, they're not as involved as I would have wanted them to be. They're kind of just kind of kept on the ship while you're doing all your gameplay. They're a bit disconnected from the story or or the gameplay is a bit disconnected from the story. One of the two. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I fall on that, uh, but it feels like a lot of the story is happening there after your gameplay sections are done, uh, which is, I guess, something I could be a little critical about. Which, uh, I would have liked. Uh, sorry, but before like you go on um, with that, I think what I like about the fact that Seer in specific is kept back is because we do know about her reservations with the Force and specifically uh-huh. with trying to get involved with the story because of her interaction with I think it's the ninth sister is the um, second sister. Second is the sister. One. The ninth. The ninth sister. You fight on Kashyyyk. Yeah. So then the second sister, but the relationship between her. And the second sister and them being Padawan and Apprentice and Seer tapping into the dark side and trying to not let the second sister go down that path and feeling like she failed. And her ultimately trying to not let that happen again and going the same path that uh, Cal did where they both cut themselves off from the force essentially Uh to not try to repeat those things in history. So. I like that Seer isn't as involved because it makes sense for her character, the way that they yeah. wrote her. So to me, that didn't bother me, but I get why it might bother some people. Yeah, there aren't, I guess there aren't as many major characters to the story as I thought there would be. Like a lot of the characters are just kind of people you meet on your planet and then you you move on. Like, you know, you see Saw Gerrera for the first Kashyyyk sequence and then he's gone. Uh, there's other characters that you see in one section or another and then you don't interact with them again. Um, I did appreciate that the night sister on Dathomir, she actually joins your crew and there's a little bit of a fish out of water thing uh, for the rest of the game. I liked her relationship with Cal. Cal's a good character in that he's someone that I buy can inspire people to look at things differently or in her case to sort of leave the dark side and then 
start seeing what the light is and stuff like that. I like I like Cal as a character in that sense. He's a good, likable protagonist, all in all. I think his uh, relationship with BD-1 is especially charming. If every Star Wars movie, and I'm sure they will, movie, game, TV show, if every piece of Star Wars media till the end of time just gave me a new cute droid character, I would always be happy. Just always give me a new cute droid character. I don't care if it's only for merchandising. I just want a cute droid character because I will always like them. It's what Respawn does best. I mean, he had BT in um, <laughs> BT and you had BT in yeah. Titanfall two, and now you have BD one in this one. And what I I like, and maybe I'm just looking too deep into this, which I could be because I'm a Star Wars fan. But I like how when we meet BD one, he's broken, but he's connected to the Force, and I mm-hmm. like that sort of parallel with Cal that he's broken, but he's also connected to the Force in the way that BD one essentially gives him this mission of hey i was a droid for this jedi master and he left all these things on these temples that you need to go to to reconnect yourself with the force ultimately you're just trying to find i believe it's a holocron to find the map of where there are other jedi that are still alive Mm -hmm. but with that you start off kind of reluctant because you're cutting your start off the game with cal not wanting to be associated with the force. You don't want anyone to know that you're a Jedi because of order 66. You try your very hardest not to resort to that as much as possible. But then as the story goes along, you, you sort of ease yourself back into that of being like, okay, this is what I have to do. This is what I need to do because of Seer, because of the Jedi that are in trouble. The sisters are after me. I'm now back in this. And I like the way that both of them end up fixing each other because that yeah. scene in Ilum is BD-1. I believe he shows that projection of the of the Jedi Master and Cal essentially reinvigorated. And that's when you get your crystal, you build your lightsaber, you get the hill. And then it's kind of like John Wick. We're like, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Uh-huh. And so I like that parallel between both of them, the way that it starts off with both of them broken and it ends up with both of them better people for knowing each other yeah and that whole sequence after you get your crystal when you're getting back to the ship from there you're just cutting through everybody i, th- I keep thinking of metroid because obviously i haven't played every game under the sun but Metroid's usually the game i think of when i think of stuff like this is that as you're getting all your abilities and you're getting stronger you'll go back and you'll fight enemies that used to be a challenge for you and they're like cutting through butter and you're cutting through all these shock troopers and this immediately after you uh, get out of the cave and it's just like butter they send like 50 of them at you in waves and you're just like one or two hits after you get a counter and that's it and that's all you need like that's that's the empowering stuff that i enjoy in games obviously you can't have the whole game be like god mode but as you get near the end a nice mix of upping the challenge because you're getting near the end and also rewarding you for how much you've grown as a player uh, how much you've improved is really satisfying it's just a satisfying gameplay loop well i was just gonna kind of talk about the exploration of the themes in this game i actually feel like they're really well really well explored so um there's a point i don't remember where it is but cal notes that like none of the sacrifices made in the clone wars matter which i mean ultimately they really don't because it was just two sides that were both being played against each other as puppets and i kind of like that someone acknowledged that because part of part of my frustration is that you know because the prequels obviously are prequels they were made after the original trilogy you don't get that much discussion of the ripple effect of the clone wars and that's something i do enjoy of the stuff that takes place in that time period between those two movies um, even though I feel like that area, th- that time period has been overexplored at this point. I do like that the way that this game approaches that is like, yeah, there was a lot of pointless 
sacrifice that happened in the Clone Wars and, and ultimately didn't matter. And I like that Cal, in turn, he questions what he's doing at certain points. Like um, his I think his guilt for losing his master is part of that. And it sort of uh, affects him throughout the game. But there's a point on Kashyyyk where he's like, is my own mission worth it? Because Kashyyyk was, you know, obviously it was war torn, but it wasn't like this when I got here. And now it's just decimated, like to the point where Sagarera had to leave because he knew it was a losing battle. And like Tarful, the leader of the Wookiees, is just hidden up in a forest because the situation is just so dire. Like, I like that constantly questioning the mission is something that I appreciate because I like that it's a balanced approach. Obviously, it's borderline unethical to rip all these children or however old they are these these jedi who have lost their connection with the force to rip them from whatever their lives are bring them back into the spotlight and put put a giant spotlight of the empire right on them to say these are jedi and these are the people that you need to take out who have been so good at hiding for the last five years and i ultimately like that the end of the game is them deciding that's not the best thing to do because these people need to have their own agency and they they get to decide when they rejoin the fight and i think there's a faith that most of them will and ultimately a lot of them do as we see the formation of the rebel uh, rebel alliance and all that stuff but i really like all that i think it really does a good job exploring exploring greater ideas and also just making the protagonists question what they're doing because i feel like you don't get a lot of that uh, it's it can be very cut and dry and i appreciate the approach that this game took in that regard yeah and we've talked before about how like this is kind of the era that i want to explore and it is because a lot of the things that you mentioned of the examination of the war and what it meant and the way that perspectives shift because of it and this is all stuff that i find very interesting in this time period which is why I do want more stuff set in this, but specifically with these kinds of themes, settings, storytelling, mechanics, these kinds of stuff. The Order 66 scene, I really like it because it starts off not cheerful, but it starts off very normal because you, even if you as the player aren't making these connections with these stormtroopers, Cal is. So when that scene starts, you're high-fiving stormtroopers, you're talking, or sorry, clone troopers, you're talking about your day, you're doing all this other stuff. But when that shift happens, it's effective because you've spent this amount of time with your master. You know that your master is this to you. Outside of knowledge of Star Wars, it means something to the character of a young Cal Kestis because we see what it is in the future that it becomes. So that scene, on top of just being really brutal and having your master go through all these uh, clones and having all the clones fire back, killing your master by the end of it, taking his lightsaber and it being broken, and that's why that lightsaber is broken on the cover and throughout the game, it all just really works for me. So I I do really enjoy Fallen Order, and maybe yeah. it's because I just have an inherent bias, but even if I didn't, like Gabe, for instance, doesn't like Star Wars at all, couldn't care for it less. He played the game and he was like, no, this was my favorite game of whatever year it came out because he just really enjoyed it. And I feel like that's one of the great things about Fallen Order in specific is that it's very Star Wars, but it's very approachable because it's not trying to focus on the war, the Galactic Republic or anything like this. It's a character study of a yes. Jedi coming out of Order 66 and his relationship with the Force and the Jedi Order, which if you know anything about me, you love, I love me some examinations about the Jedi Order. <laughs> well, I was going to mention that I have a couple gameplay notes that I'll 
uh, touch on it in a minute. But I was going to mention that I really felt a lot of parallels to a certain character in a certain movie that people hate with as far as Cal and Seer go. Yep, me too. Me too. Oh, yeah. I, I have yeah, felt like this a cutting, lot cutting yourself in the last from the force, questioning what the Jedi are to you, like all that stuff. I felt I've, I liked it in that movie. I like it here. Like I like that because the Jedi were in the wrong and they were just totally made fools of uh, throughout that entire war, throughout the entire t- 12 years or however long it is from Phantom Menace to the end of Revenge of the Sith. Like they the wool was pulled over their eyes. They handled everything horribly. And they're kind of the reason that the Republic fell into despair and it became the Empire. And I feel like that doesn't get talked about enough in the movies. And I'm so glad like, I'm so glad The Last Jedi explored that, and I'm glad that the way this game explored that, because that's something that I feel like needs to be talked about more. Even if people like those characters, you can acknowledge that they fucked up. Like, yeah. it's it's human. Obviously, not everyone's human, but it's, you know, something we something you do. You fuck up sometimes. Sometimes it can really cost you, and it did in this case, and I feel like it's okay to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And something that doesn't get brought up in here because it has nothing to do with it but a character like captain rex who was a clone trooper who is fully aware of the things of order 66 he can look back at the war and say i was complacent in all these things and this is Mm -hmm. my fault and so that's something that i've always liked about star wars clone wars anything that has come out post i guess clone wars has been an examination of the Jedi, the Jedi Order, and how wrong they were. And that's always the stuff, for me personally, that I find really interesting in this world is the examination of your heroes being wrong. Even if they may be in the right for certain things of like, hey, we want to stop a war from the Sith taking over. Sure, maybe that in theory is a good idea. The ways that they go about it, their true motives behind it, the cost of war, the... All of that stuff I really find interesting. And the fact that we got it in this game shows me A, Respawn knows what they're doing rather than just saying like, hey, here's a Star War. You're going to play a Jedi going through all these things. You're like, no, we're going to take the time to explore the themes of a Jedi because Mm -hmm. you are playing a Jedi. You should know what it is to be one, why they are the way that they are and all these other things. So it shows me that Respawn cares about that, but not just that for a star wars story but they just care about character building and world building Mm -hmm. and fleshing all those things out so i am a respawn fan i've liked their work and this game i think well no i think titanfall 2 is better because i like the mechanics yeah but i like the story more but yeah 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 and it's it's not i'm titanfall 2 and this are different games one's a first person shooter this is a third person action game exploration game 100 Man, I was missing that Titanfall movement. Titanfall is so fluid to play, and this it felt very clunky, the movement in this game, I thought. It's not unplayable or anything, but I it didn't feel as smooth and fluid as I wanted it to, so that was something that I didn't enjoy as much. Um, I do have more gameplay, no, it's not, not a ton. Uh, something I will praise, I think this game does a great job of making you feel scale and sort of making you feel small against the Empire, or even just small... Uh, in the context of wherever you're at, there's a point where you're climbing up the big tree in Kashyyyk. And this happens a lot when you're climbing up the ropes in the game, but it will, it zoomed out like crazy zoomed out. And it just shows you like, you're almost a speck in terms of the scale of this planet. And I like, I mean, that's something I appreciate in filmmaking too. It's just when you can do something as simple as that to establish the scale of your world. Like, I love that. And there's a lot of points where they do that. And it also just, you know, you're ultimately just one person who has two allies on a ship you have one little robot buddy with you, but that's kind of it. That's how you start. You're rebuilding this broken order 
you know, from ashes, essentially. And you're at the very beginning of it. And I like that it establishes that dynamic. It's, you know, it's like the classic shot at the beginning of A New Hope, where it establishes the little rebel ship that seems big at first. And then you see how much they're dwarfed by the Star Destroyer. Like, that's something Star Wars has always done. And I like the way that this game handles that. I will say there's a section in the game later in the game where you go to Dathomir, which is the homeworld of the, I don't know what the species is called, but Darth Maul species. Zabrak. Okay, there you go. And don't, we can't forget Savage Opress, by the way, of course. I think that section probably drags more than any other point in the game for me. I don't enjoy fighting the enemy, like any of the enemies on that, on Dathomir. And that, I don't like, you know, obviously I get how the plant's supposed to look that way, but I hate how it looks. It's very, you know, it's very bleak. Everything about it's bleak. And I, I think that's the point where I'm least interested in the game. It's important from a story perspective, but in terms of actually playing through the game, that was my least favorite section. Uh, there was also a technical issue I had for whatever reason on Dathomir. My audio in the cutscenes just totally, totally fell out of sync and it got worse by the second, like to the point where the the lips on the screen and the actual dialogue I was hearing was about almost 30 seconds apart. So once it actually got me back to gameplay, I was still listening to cutscene audio from like 30 seconds prior. I don't know what the issue was there. I eventually restarted my game because the whole way through I've been using the quick resume feature on Series X, um, but I decided to like reboot the game and it seemed to be fine after that, even though it wasn't totally perfect. So I don't know if that was a me issue or a game issue, but that was a technical issue that I had that kind of annoyed me. The last gameplay note that I'll have, it's it's a criticism. It's something I would hope that they would improve because we are getting a sequel, right? Wasn't that announced? Yes. In the next game, I don't want the gameplay structure to be so repetitive because almost every planet in this game, it'll be that you're about to reach your objective and then something happens and you fall to the very bottom and you have to climb a different route back up. It happens on Kashyyyk, it happens on Dathomir, it happens on Ilum. I think it happens before that too. Those three in a row, I took notice of that structure becoming a bit repetitive and that was when I started to get a little annoyed by the game because it just felt, you know, it's obviously there's stuff you have to do um, and, you know, you have abilities to acquire, stuff like that. The gameplay is enjoyable, but it does feel padded at that point. If its only idea to pad the game out is to literally have you get right where you need to be and then rip it away from you, that to me is kind of unsatisfying. It's kind of annoying and happening back to back to back like it did kind of rub me the wrong way. So I would hope in the sequel that the structure isn't this way. I would hope it's a little they, at least they change things up a little bit. I think it's fine to do that once or twice, but how much they did it, they overdid it as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that brought the game down a little bit for me. But all in all. I think this is a really solid game. I was surprised how much I liked it. I figured I would think it was fine, but yeah, I I dug it pretty much all the way through. There's issues I had. There's um, you know one section that dragged, but all in all, it's really good. And I will, I guess I might not have to pay full price for uh, the sequel. We'll see what the state of gaming is at yeah. that point. But yeah, I'll 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 play the sequel. I'm curious where the story goes. Um, it does the story does feel a little empty in the sense that. Literally from the inciting incident, you know what your goal is, and then the it's pretty much just all obstacles in the way of that. It doesn't feel like there are twists and twists and turns in that respect, I guess. Your goal never changes from the beginning of the game. It's get the holocron, and then the end of the game is still get the holocron, and then the end of the game is you not using the holocron and destroying it. But it feels like there's not really a point A to point B. It's just kind of point A to point A in terms of the actual the main objective of the game never changes, I guess. It doesn't feel like the things that happen throughout the story have affected your mission in any way. It still feels like you're getting from point A to point A, I guess I could say. Also, that's kind of storytelling 101. Like, you should have a goal for your protagonist, but I feel like it was missing some of the twists and turns along the way. But yeah, 
I think this is really good. Like, a, I would give it like an eight out of ten, probably. Hey, we gave it a four. He didn't. He didn't give it the nick of a three point five, which is mm-hmm. what he gives when it's pretty good. I don't think I would have nominated it for game of the year like it was, but it's really good. Like, I would again, my full endorsement to go play this game. Um, although I will say, I don't know what difficulty you played the game on. I played mine on second from the bottom. I think that's Jedi Knight. Um, and it was well, I perfectly. I played mine on Jedi Master. So oh, look at you, play. Big Dick I didn't. Over I didn't here. do Jedi Grandmaster, but I did do Jedi Master. Me and my friend both played it on that. Was that your first playthrough, or did you yes, do that on second? I, I, oh, wow. I played it on Jedi Master the the first way all the way through. So that's why I, for me it was a little bit more challenging, and that's why, for instance, something like Agdo Bagdo, the stupid frog. Oh my God, <laughs> that stupid frog! And it might be my fault for doing that frog at the very beginning of the game when you have very little stims or powers or anything like that. But me and my friend both did it at the very beginning of the game. And that stupid frog took forever. <laughs> but um, anyway, no, we yeah. pl- I played on Jedi Master. And in regards to technical issues, that was very prevalent in the launch of the game. That was something that people noted. So it's not just a you thing. I'm sure that was okay. that was something that people dealt with at launch. So yeah. Two years later, I'm, I'm annoyed that it wasn't fixed then. Yeah, but, I played a much inferior version of this game. But Yeah, I played it. I guess they optimized it last year sometime, I think, like. Yeah, they last optimized summer, it last year. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious what, what this would have been like if I played this game on my. Uh, at the time the game came out, I had an original Xbox One. I think I bought a One S a couple months later uh, when I got a 4K TV. Um, but I'm curious what this would have been like on the on the vanilla Xbox One in November 2019 when it came out. The answer is rough. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I played it like this. Uh, yeah. Is what I can say because it seemed like it would have been taxing. But yeah, I would say the difficulty. Um, there were a couple like there was one section on Dathomir that it wasn't even a boss fight. It was just one a one meditation point to meditation point that I could not get through for whatever reason. I don't know. I was just getting overwhelmed and it was annoying the hell out of me. But but otherwise, you know, I died quite a quite a bit in most of the boss fights, but they were all enjoyable. They were good deaths in the sense that I was getting a little closer each time and I wanted to keep going because I knew I was getting closer. I could predict their movements better, you know, just typical boss fight stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was it was satisfying. Some of them, uh, the majority of them were for me, but the second sister fight at the very end of the game for both me and Gabe, that fight was ridiculous. It, it was just something completely not different, but there was a lot of stuff like, really, that's what hit me. Really? That that yeah. got me. So she, there yeah, were... she has a couple moves that are kind of stupid and they're hard to avoid. Like she has a ground pound move that just wrecked me every time. Like I couldn't. The dodge move isn't what you need to do. You need to jump at that point, and I always forgot to jump because I instinctively do the dodge move if I'm about to be hit with something. That really bugged me. Yeah, so there were only a couple of those. But overall, even playing on Master, this being my first baby's first Souls-like game, yeah. um, it was perfectly fine. So I I like it, and I'm glad that you enjoyed it because I was very nervous. One last question. Yes. Is this a good use of Darth Vader? I think so. I think it's better than Rogue One in that regard. I think it's, well, I don't remember how long this is supposed to be after Revenge of the Sith. This is five years? 
Yeah, Cal really, five Cal years really grew say. up in five years. Jesus I know. Christ. His, his, his voice as a kid was very funny to me. I'm like, did they speed him up like Alvin and the Chipmunks, or did they literally just tell him, try and act like you're five years younger? Yeah. I have um, no idea, but it was kind of a funny voice. Five years after Revenge of the Sith, I think this would have been the way that Vader would have been acting, personally. Yeah. So I, I liked it, and I like that. I like that it was only one fight at the very end, and then mm-hmm. the rest of it was literally just running. And I yep. personally enjoyed that because you got the intimidation with that mm-hmm. first little snippet and you didn't need anything else because you got the yep. fear through the rest of it. Yep, I'm totally with you there. Like my issue, and we'll talk about this soon enough whenever we get to Rogue One for a commentary, but my issue with the Rogue One scene is I feel like the big scene at the end of Rogue One, ultimately it ends up being there for you to be like, oh, Darth Vader was so awesome in that scene. It's they're trying to convey that it's, you know, he's just wrecking everybody because the situation is so intense but i feel like it ultimately the purpose of that is for the fans to see him doing something awesome it doesn't work for me from a story perspective as much because i can tell that that's the intent and this it's a little bit of that but i feel like it works much better maybe it's because i'm literally that character that's being chased by him but something about it just works better for me here no i'm completely with you there but i think that was all i had i think that's it speaking of star wars guys we have finished the first three Star Wars chronologically uh, films. The prequel trilogy. The prequel trilogy. Yeah, we finished those films. We had our good friend Elena on. They were great. You can go listen to our commentary for Revenge of the Sith, which I think was the most fun one because we were, for me, I was the most childlike excited for that movie (laughs) in general. But doing that with both of you guys was just awesome. So if you want to go listen to our Revenge of the Sith commentary, Attack of the Clones, or Phantom Menace, go and listen to those uh, right now. Yeah, I think we'll take a little break from Star Wars for a while. We might get back to Marvel. I don't know what our plan is next, but we will we will get back to the rest of Star Wars. Don't worry. Yeah, we, we will finish all of the films eventually. But speaking about films... We like films. We like films. <laughs> Boy, do we like films. Um, I was... Letting Nick know the other day, I was like, in total, I have seen, as of today, I have seen 15 films um, in January, which, that's a lot of movies, <laughs> by comparison mm-hmm. to uh, some other things. We're recording this on the 18th. I've seen 16 movies so far this year. One of them is kind of not a movie. Uh, we, we watched the Lego Star Wars holiday special together. I didn't count uh, that Right one. after our Revenge of the Sith commentary, we watched that with Helena. Uh, that, w- that was a fun little 45-minute distraction. Yeah. Uh, but So I guess 15 actual movies I've watched so far this year. And I've seen 15 because I didn't count the, the holiday special or seeing yeah. the original Scream twice. So mm. I've seen yeah 15. fifteen unique unique feature length movies is what I've seen this year exactly um, yeah a lot of them are not good <laughs> um, <laughs> that I saw surprisingly yeah. looking at this more of them that I saw were good and I enjoyed but the bad ones just stick out way more yeah I'm like I'm thinking back I'm not gonna mention every single movie I've watched but I got the uh, Godzilla Criterion set uh, for Christmas I've been going through a couple of those I think I've seen two of them so far this year and like I'm remembering those neither of them were particularly good uh, we we did a Benchwarmers watch along which that movie's not good but we both really enjoyed that movie that'll be a hell of a fun commentary whenever we do it um so it's like those kaiju movies and I've watched some stupid comedies this year like feels like I haven't watched that that much groundbreaking stuff or just anything remotely serious or particularly good but yeah it's been it's been a a fun wacky start to the year i'm looking at these movies day to day and it's just bizarre on on my letterbox diary you want to know my first movie of the new year 
was from Justin to Kelly, starring Kelly Clarkson and some other oh, dude from American Idol. <laughs> yeah, I watched this with Steph and Amy. Boy, uh-huh. was it bad. Um, no way. Who, who could have foreseen this? We knew what we were getting into, but we just forgot what we were getting into about halfway through the movie. We were like, oh, this is horrendously bad. Like, not even a fun kind of bad. This is Cars <laughs> 2 bad, which I have said before. That me and my friends tried to make that movie fun. It was not fun. It doesn't was, work. It was bad. Um, <laughs> there are some movies like that, but there are also a couple like Scream, the original, um, Benchwarmers, which was a fun watch along, which you knew that i like this movie but i don't think you realize that i knew every line in this movie yeah you know if you, um, if you caught me in 2007 i would have been right there with you uh, but i haven't seen this movie in at least 10 years probably yeah I, i've I was seen out it of more practice. recently but it's been yes five years maybe five maybe six years so yeah it's i'd forgotten most of the movie in terms of even just characters or stuff that happens you knew this movie top to bottom oh boy did i uh, <laughs> but yeah benchwarmers it is in our commentary list. That'll be a fun one because of mm-hmm. the absolute joy that I get out of watching this movie. We can talk about more serious stuff that we've watched this year. New stuff that you we watched for the first time, perhaps. I don't know how much you have other than the big release that we're going to get into later. I, I can start. I can start with one. Um, okay, go ahead. I guess starting off the year, I watched Pig, which was in my uh, right top ten. It was which my we, number two. We talked about which last we did episode. talk about, but I mentioned. Did I mention at the end of the last episode or maybe two episodes ago that I have that I'm going through all of Haley Steinfeld's filmography? You know, I don't so, think you mentioned this on the show, but okay. been, you've been telling me about each movie as you go. I'm like, oh, dear. Oh, dear. Yeah. So, you, you saved the worst for last. All of it. Oh, no, there's still some more that I have to get through, but I think oh, that'll I be the worst one. But I think you, the rest you watch all the good movies that. first and now you're getting through all the dreck. Yes, except for True Grit which I had never seen. Oh, okay. And so I have finally seen True Grit. Guys, it's it's a delightful film. It's, it's good. Come I, on, brothers. Like, They're good at their for job. For some reason, I thought it was a P, uh, I thought it was an R-rated film, but it's only PG-13. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's a wonderful film. I see why she was nominated for an Oscar. I think the three leads of Jeff Bridges, um, Matt Damon, and Haley Steinfeld, I think they all work really well off each other. I like that Haley Steinfeld just plays an annoying character in every movie she's in. <laughs> um, if it's a of... annoying character is her forte. Yeah. Um, which is not her forte in Romeo and Juliet, which is Jesus Christ. <laughs> what a bad movie. Anyway, we're talking about good stuff. True grit. It's a delightful film. I like how quick it just sort of gets into everything. You get a small little monologue from her at the beginning where she's an adult talking about her dad. And then you just go straight into hey, here's the character when she was younger. Here's what she's doing. Here's why she's doing it. And it all just goes by really quick. It was very similar to 1996 1996 Scream in the fact that it just sort of starts and doesn't stop until the end of the film. And I really enjoyed that. It flew by. Boy, when I heard 1996 Scream come out of your mouth, I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? What is he? How is he going to tie these two movies together? No, no, no. I'm, t- I'm talking about the pacing of both films. Like <laughs> yeah, both of I got them, you now. Bo- yes. Both of them start and they don't really have a dull moment in the movie and they just go through the story and they're both about the same length and they don't feel that long when you're watching it. And then when you look back, you're like, that was almost a two hour movie. 
because they don't mm-hmm. really feel it and i really enjoyed it i like the the western setting being from the west and having relationship to these kinds of stories i enjoyed it so it was a great film and i'm glad that i finally saw it now that it was on netflix i'm going through all of these that are on streaming services before i go through the ones that i have to pay for which i think is four of them Ooh, sorry to hear that i love trigger it i saw it in theaters when it came out i think i watched it two or three times after that it's been probably eight or nine years since i saw it but yeah i was always a fan of it she was great she's been great since literally her first movie which was that great back and forth with jeff bridges i mean jeff bridges pretty much made the next decade of his career off of that voice doing it in other stuff um but he's he's great in that role coen brothers are just you know they're in their bag here like it's great and i bought the blu-ray maybe a year ago and i haven't watched it again that's one that i do need to go back and watch maybe this is the push i need to get to go back and watch it again but yeah it's delightful and i almost bought this blu-ray back in december without having Mm -hmm. seen the movie i almost bought the steelbook for it just i like steelbooks and i like blu-rays um yeah but i almost did buy the blu-ray for this so this is one that i will most likely end up getting but comparing this to the other coen brothers film that i saw which was inside lewin davis i like this one a lot more and i like and i like inside lewin davis but I wanted to love it, and I just thought it was pretty good. So I'm kind of... I'm kind of with you there. I do want to watch it again maybe a couple years down the line. Yeah. Um, Loon Davis is really good, but at least on the watchable end of things, I would much rather watch True Grit again, because Loon oh, Davis 100%. is just depressing. Yeah. Depressing as hell. And it does have good moments of comedy, uh, Loon Davis. I like when you're with Adam Driver and he's hanging out with the cat. There are the little moments, but it is really just a sea of lewin davis getting beaten through every single moment of his life a lot of it's self-inflicted but at the same time it's like jesus christ are you ever gonna have a happy moment i do like when he finally gets to the audition and the way that all that plays out i really like that sequence um because it's the whole motivation motivating factor of the movie pretty much so i did enjoy the i guess revolution not revolution um resolution with that storyline and what it meant for him and sort of what it says about the music industry so i did enjoy that but yeah a lot of the movie is slow feeling and methodical and just hanging out with this miserable life of this person yeah well we just came up with a name for the fifth and sixth matrix movie we've got resolution and revelations we got those uh uh lana wachowski give us a call We'll do it. Anyway, I was just going to say about Lewin Davis. Lewin Davis to me is like if Spider-Man 2 ended with Peter just leaving New York and never getting any catharsis whatsoever, that's inside Lewin Davis. Yeah. It's just beating on this protagonist from start to finish and then he just never, like nothing good ever happens. Yeah. And then the movie ends. Which I like more in Lewin Davis than I do in Spider-Man 2, even though I really love Spider-Man 2. Yeah. For me, I just feel like a lot of what happens to Lewin Davis is self-inflicted which is mm-hmm. why I sort of not accept it more, but why it's easier for me to not relate to that. But it's easier for me to watch that than it is for me you to empathize watch with that. go through all of that stuff. But yeah. Anyways, we were we were talking about um we got off topic. True Grit, but it's good. Yes. I like both movies. I would still recommend Lewin Davis. It's pretty good, too. but it is way heavier than True Grit. Outside of that, I don't think there's anything worth mentioning except for the Scream films, which we'll get to. But do you have anything that you would like to share? 
I've got a couple, so let's pull up the box here. Sorry, I, I for some reason I had your profile pulled up. I was going to look at something on your profile. I was just looking at all the movies that you'd watch this year. Oh, well, um, while he's pulling that up, I saw La La Land again today. Um, I love La La Land. Nick doesn't like it. It's perfectly fine. I love La La Land. It brings me joy. I like musicals. What can I say? I like flashy colors. I like dance sequences. I like directors putting in work, and I felt Damien Chazelle's work throughout this entire thing. But I also have a bias towards him. He likes white people. What? Oh, come on. <laughs> now that's going to get clipped out right there. Me going, what? Anyway, what? I don't hate white people. That's not the point of the story. Of no, why I said I, you like white people. Yes, but I but I reacted like I don't. Um, I do. Okay. And I like Damien Chazelle. He's one of my favorite directors. But I like his energy in his films. And I like this film in particular. I just really love the set pieces. I think it's a really gorgeous film to look at. And I enjoy the music and all the musical stuff which is you know it's me if you know me by now you know that i enjoy most musicals unless you're dear evan hansen oh cat's gonna be so mad at you when she listens back i know i don't care i know people don't like it but it's whatever it's been six years get on with your life i did get on with my life and then you brought this movie back into my life yeah anyway i have let's see three yeah three movies that i will bring up uh, they were all 2021 releases one of them Bumped in the heights uh, off of my top 10 list from 2021, I'm sorry to say. Fucking disgraceful. This movie is really good. We'll talk about that I movie last. I, I, um, I know which one it is, and I and I yeah. also saw it. First, we'll talk about a movie that you like that I might have Mandela affected you talking about in the last episode. You did not put it in your list, I don't think. Uh, Encanto. Yeah, baby. No, it was one of my honorable mentions, but I think okay. in time, it's grown on me a lot. Um, so I have just for whatever reason, I don't know if it's something about me, if it's just something about the way that Disney animated movies are made now, but I even feel this way with Pixar. Most Disney animated movies from like the last 10 years kind of top out at around three and a half, which is what I gave Encanto. I gave it the Nick. There's just something about it. Like they all look gorgeous. They're obviously, you know, photorealistic. They look beautiful just start to finish. But I just don't quite fully connect with them and i don't know what the reason for that is this movie like encanto is good it's charming the songs are fun and catchy but i don't know I, I wonder if it's just that i feel like all the animated movies we get now are just humans being animated but there's something about animated movies that just feel kind of lifeless to me and that they felt this way for a little while and it's not like an issue of this movie alone there's something about it that hasn't clicked with me for a while as far as animation is concerned like i will rarely give an animated movie more than four stars and I, I, you know, there are a lot of movies that I love growing up that were animated. And even as an adult that I go back and I still think they're great. But I haven't felt that for a lot of animated movies in the last, I'd say, 10, 15 years. And Encanto is kind of one of those for me. Um, it's it's totally solid, but there's just something about it that didn't click with me. And I can't really explain what. Is it because they're Colombians? Is that what it is, Nick? Do you not just I like think stories so. no, of Latino people? I don't people? think so. No. Because I've watched other movies, other animated movies in the last 10 years. Like Frozen's all white people. That movie's oh, not good. Frozen's terrible. Okay, I'm <laughs> glad that you said it was bad. Oh, I, I never liked Frozen. I didn't no, bother with Frozen Frozen's bad. Everyone go watch Tangled. That's the better film. Yeah. But yeah, like Pixar's last few, like I love Toy Story 4 personally, but otherwise Luca's pretty good. Like Onward's pretty good. Um, Finding Dory is pretty good to me. Uh, Coco is really good. I will say Coco is really good. And I like Toy Story 4 a lot, but it's just uh, and, and Soul. I forgot about Soul. Soul's great. Soul like, slaps. I say, well, yeah, Soul uh, is great. Yeah. 
But for every one for every one animated movie from Disney or Pixar that I think is great, I get two or three that are kind of just on this pretty good level for me that never sniff being something that I love. And this was kind of one of those for me. I like. Well, hold on. I lost my train of thought. I was going to say something I liked and then I forgot about it. That's well, totally me in a nutshell. I will say like, <laughs> like I'm yelling at you for these things, but even I don't really love Encanto. I, I'm also in the, it's pretty good camp, but I just like giving you shit for having this opinion about things that people enjoy. Yeah. But even then, like for me being pretty good is still something that I'll revisit a lot and enjoy. So it's, it's different for the two of us. Yeah, this is something I don't see myself myself revisiting. I I try and especially the last couple of years, I try and watch as many different things as possible. You know, every now and then I will rewatch something that I just want to rewatch. Um, like I'm going back to the Indiana Jones movies right now because I got the 4K set recently. So stuff like that, I'll go back and rewatch. And movies that I really love, I'll watch like once a year usually. I, I try and watch as many new things as I can, and a lot of a lot of them just kind of end up at this level for me. A lot of them don't stick for me. And this is one that I think is good, but I don't see myself watching again. Maybe maybe years down the line, if it has like a, a reputation that gets better and better over time. I don't see this becoming like a Disney classic or anything. Uh, I think it's just kind of because of the weird release that it had. Like it was on Disney Plus very quickly after theaters. And it just feel like, feels like it kind of came and went in that regard. Even though I have seen, much like Only Words in the Building I talked about last episode, kind of getting a second life uh, after it was done airing. I felt like Encanto kind of had that once it got put on Disney+. Plus. It's in the top 100 now for music. Uh, we don't talk about Bruno hit number four. So it's definitely getting a wave of people liking it. I, I, yeah. I think you'll be wrong in the fact that it won't be a classic. I think it will be. Maybe I would feel differently if I thought the movie was something really great. But maybe it's the fact that I don't see it as that, that I don't think it'll become that. I couldn't tell you what it is. And I'm not even talking about specifics about the movie at all. I'm just kind of talking about how I approach animated movies now, or at least how they hit me. But it's just something I kind of feel. I think a lot of it is that it feels like every animated movie has human characters. Like, it's just all human characters for the most part. And they're all they all kind of just get animated the same. And that I feel like that loses a little bit of personality for me. What I what I'll say to, like, combat that is that people of color in particular have had a long history of just playing animals or different toys or whatever. So seeing this kind of culture be represented in a way, same thing with Goku, where they weren't just a cat or they weren't a mouse, like Speedy Gonzalez or something like that, that really does mean a lot to a lot of people. So I think this will stand the test of time, personally. But that's just yeah. an opinion of you saying, hey, you know, it's a lot of uh, normal human characters being animated the same but for people of color in particular it's something that hasn't been that way for them so it is something for them to be proud of and inspired by and different for them yeah no absolutely it means something extra for people of color and i'm happy that they have something like this even if it's not something that i love like you know i don't have a connection to any real culture in the same way that people that people of color do and obviously they get fewer movies that represent them so when they get something like this and it is good you know if it were a bad movie then i feel like it would be different this is legitimately a good movie so i'm glad that i'm glad that you know people have that that they can really connect with what do you think it would have been better if they had chili with cinnamon rolls 
if they just like instead of like the dinner with Mr. <laughs> with Mr. Mariano, they brought out like a bunch of chili and they're like, Mira, we brought out some cinnamon rolls, you know, Julieta. They made them very special. Here, dip your cinnamon roll in your chili and just enjoy it. Do you think you would have connected with that culture more? Now listen here. You think you can fight me on this. You think it matters that you think this is disgusting to you. I don't give a single shit. It's a Kansas thing. It's one point of pride that I have in Kansas other than my basketball team is that we like cinnamon rolls with chili and that's just how we are. And I always I've always loved it and I still love it. I just had it a few nights ago. It's fantastic. Now, you brought up dipping your cinnamon roll in the chili. We don't do that. We're not animals. We're not heathens. We keep we eat the cinnamon roll on the side. Some people, I think our friend Harley sent something, some pictures in the Discord earlier. Some people do, or they'll put the cinnamon roll on top of the chili and they'll mix it in. I do not endorse this behavior. This is not how you eat cinnamon rolls with chili. You have your chili, you eat your cinnamon rolls on the side, and they complement each other extremely well. And my official stance is don't knock it until you try it. I'm sorry to hear that. What's it like <laughs> to be the rolls reversed, baby? <laughs> It was a good joke. I'm glad you said it. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's a Kansas thing. That's all I can say. I, I didn't know if it was just a Kansas thing. And then I sort of brought the idea up uh, last week, I think, in our Discord. And everybody, yeah, last week. if we were in person, you would all be looking at me weird. I would get dirty looks from every single person at WangerCon if I brought this up at WangerCon for the first time. I feel like if we were all just in a voice chat when you brought that up, we all would have just yelled at you and said, <laughs> why? You basically did through text. Yeah, we all did. It was a very immediate I've reaction. never felt more judged than I was when I said that we ate cinnamon rolls with our chili here. As you should. But Encanto, pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I like I said, I don't think I'll revisit it. I would recommend it because um, I do think it's good. And I think, you know, if you're a person of color or if you're a kid, I'm sure kids probably love this movie just because it's an animated movie and it's a good animated movie. Like it's not it's not a shitty animated movie that's just made to give kids a distraction. There's you know, there's there's good themes here. There's good characters. Um, everything's everyone's likable, like all that. Um, yeah, just didn't hit that next level for me like I wanted it to. Which, you know, is just a frustration I'm having with animated movies more and more as time goes on. But that's a personal thing. So the other night I uh, logged into my Apple TV Plus and I watched Joel Cohen, just Joel Cohen. I watched his The Tragedy of Macbeth, which stars Denzel Washington as Macbeth and then Frances McDormand, who's Joel Cohen's wife, um, as Lady Macbeth. And I'm a big Macbeth fan. I enjoyed reading it in high school. I've enjoyed some, some adaptations of it. I remember I watched an Ian McKellen and um, Judy Dench, what's it called, a pro shot where you film the play? Yeah, it's a pro shot. We watched a pro shot of that after we read Macbeth in high school, and I thought that was great. That story clicks with me. I think still make my favorite adaptation is uh, Throne of Blood, which was Akira Kurosawa's version of it with uh, Toshiro Mifune in that role. I was talking to, I think it was our friend Harley again in our Discord the other day. I think I like it best when Shakespeare gets adapted into an entirely different setting, time and place, and it's not just a king. It's it's not like, you know, typical Middle Ages or whatever time period it's set in of his his name is literally Macbeth. They talk like Shakespeare characters and he's usurping a king. Like I like when you change that up a little bit. So you change it for, you know, your environment, your time period, whatever. I think I like in general shake when Shakespeare is adapted that way because I think those stories are still really good. I think Shakespeare presented as Shakespeare doesn't always connect with me. And I kind of felt that way about the tragedy of Macbeth. Um, I thought this was okay. Denzel is, you know, predictably great. Francis McDormand is good as always. Um, but something about this movie just did not click with me. 
for one, I had to turn subtitles on immediately because it is Shakespeare like through and through. They are talking like Shakespeare characters throughout with subtitles on and just knowing what I knew about the play. I was never lost. I was kind of I was always able to keep up with what was going on. But yeah, it just didn't it didn't work for me. I think a lot of it is that I don't like the way this movie looks. Um, so it's it's digital black and white, which always looks kind of weird, kind of funky. And this movie in particular, it's almost makes it obvious. Like it feels like it wants you to know that it was just shot on sound stages because you get really cheap looking sets with like barely any production design whatsoever. And I think I understand what they were going for with it. But if I'm watching a movie, I don't want it to look like look like that, I guess. Like as a movie, I feel like you should be doing what you can to make your frame as interesting as possible. And I feel like they didn't put that. I don't think it was that they didn't put the effort in. I think it was just they wanted to go a different direction with this. Whatever the rationale was, I'm not sure about, but it just didn't work for me. And, you know, it's short. It's like 96 minutes, but it felt like a drag to me. And I usually enjoy the Macbeth story. And this one just didn't work for me, really. It's totally fine. I would still say if you're into these actors or if you're into Shakespeare, watch it. Um, I'm sure Shakespeare fans probably think it's a better adaptation than I do. It just didn't click with me, and I do usually enjoy the Macbeth story, so it kind of bummed me out because there's a lot of good talent involved here. Sad to hear that because the way that it looks is actually what's the most interesting thing to me. But it just looks cheap, like, and I again, I I think that's what they're going for. They kind of want it to look like a play, but I feel like if you're in a movie, I want you to look like a movie. And it's just, it's just, you know, not what I want in my movies, I guess. I guess I'm more, um, op- not like more open, but I guess I'm fine with the experimentation of shooting something in different ways to look differently. Because I don't know, like, your thoughts on fences, but a lot of people felt the same way about fences of, oh, it's just shot on a, it was just clearly a play that was then put on the screen. And that's the way that I felt about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom where I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this isn't really that interesting. The performances are good, but outside of that, there isn't really anything hooking me to this. Whereas this one, from what I've seen of it, I haven't seen it yet. I was intending on watching it. Um, the visuals are what is most interesting to me about it, is them trying to do this style of shooting on a soundstage cinematically in some capacity and them trying to a skirt around covid which is a reason for it but then also them trying to just create a new i guess like a new style of bringing um stage productions to film rather than going something like tom hooper where it's very overly filmic and trying to do Mm -hmm. something you know different so i'm here for experimentation personally yeah i just think like i don't want to be harsh but i feel like that is the least interesting possible route to go is we're going to shoot it all on soundstage make sure you know it we're going to put it in digital black and white which never really looks good and we're just it's going to be empty like the whole movie just feels empty because it's literally just actors standing in front of like your basic theater set and not much else. And I feel like that it doesn't even really enhance their performances because I feel like they could utilize close-ups more than they do for one. Um, but in general, I just kind of felt a disconnect from this entire movie. And you have great actors doing great work, you know, reciting great material. And it just, this present, this way of presenting it just didn't, didn't click with me like I wanted it to, which bummed me out. But I would still say, again, if you're interested, go see it because people don't usually agree with my takes. <laughs> Um, who knows but i don't have anything else to add other than i've seen the trailers and it's something i'm interested in watching yeah i'd be curious to hear what you thought um but moving on also on apple tv the next night 
I watched a movie that you watched in your big six movie day last year, I believe. Yes, I did. A bunch of people that I know love this movie, and I, I had been meaning to watch it for literally months and months and months now, uh, which is Coda on Apple TV. Uh, Coda was a child of, of deaf adults, uh, the main character, who she's the only person in her family who can hear. Her brother and her parents are both deaf, and of course, ironically, she's into music, so that creates a disconnect between her and her family. She also gets sort of pulled between two worlds where she has enough of a talent where she can go far with her music career. She can go to music school, but that also means leaving her family behind when her family has to rely on her because she's the only person who can effectively communicate with everybody around them. And this movie is charming as all hell. And I really felt like I could relate to this movie. I don't know if it's like relate to this movie is the right word, but I just could totally empathize with this character. And this was, again, one of the top 10 movies of the year for me. I think I put it in at like number eight. I love I love our main character. I love her her dilemma. I love her teacher played by Eugenio Derbez, uh, her music teacher. He's a delightful character. Every scene with him is enjoyable. I appreciate that he's he's very human, I guess. He's got his moments where he's kind of overdramatic, but ultimately he wants the best for his students and he's very human and he takes an interest in them and he cares for them deeply. And I appreciate his relationship with her in particular. I think their scenes are a highlight of this movie. We can talk about this movie in depth because you've also seen it. Uh, but I think this is, movie is just great. You didn't mention the Sing Street Kid. I was going to mention the Sing Street Kid. I forgot about that. I never remember his name, but the main character from Sing Street, he's in this movie and he's doing an OK American accent, I would say. Yeah, I, I was like, OK. Um, I'm you're, you're, I'm rocking with this. I've heard I worse. I, I've heard <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch do an American accent. Um, <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch, whose apparently only idea is to just be raspy. Yeah, I enjoyed Coda. I think I've enjoyed. I think I enjoyed it less because kind of going off of what you're saying with Fallen Order was that I felt very empty with the movie, which is kind of like weird because there's a lot of stuff going on like you have her trying to deal with school she's being made fun of because of her parents having sex really loud she's trying to deal with go doing with getting into this performance school she's dealing with trying to deal with the boy and the fishing company with her parents so there was a lot going on but i felt disconnected from the family somehow and i don't know what Mm. it was I overall still enjoyed the movie. I thought it was pretty good. I'd probably give it the nick, but I like it less than a lot of people would. It's just sort of okay for me personally. I enjoy it and I'll probably watch it again, but it's not something that I am raving. I don't think I raved about it either. I just said, hey, I watched it and I enjoyed it. But yeah, I don't, I don't think we ever talked about it, but I know I think you gave it the heart on Letterboxd and that was all I knew. So I figured you at least really liked it, but it sounds like you didn't like it that Listen, much. My I hearts s- are not your hearts. My hearts are. Yeah. Did I enjoy my time with this? Yes. Did I enjoy Coda? Yes. I'll give it a heart. Well, I don't give hearts. I just directly rate them. Yeah, which I don't. I'm not do. a coward. I don't like rating stuff. Because, <laughs> I, know, I know. Yes, we've been we've been through this, but if I enjoy something. I'll give it a heart, but there's plenty of stuff that I will be like, no, I don't really think that's worthy of a heart. Coda's worthy of a yeah. heart, and that's perfectly fine, but I also don't love it as much as everyone else. Yeah, I think if I had criticisms, is that each individual relationship she has feels a little underdeveloped. I think she has like one too many different relationships going on, not like literal romantic relationships, although she does have one. Uh, but I think you don't get enough of her interacting with individual members of her family which I would have liked to see more of. I think uh, she has a, a dynamic with her brother that you see in the final scene, uh, mostly in, or not in the final scene, but, but uh, they like have the a final big, act. 
which is yeah, like in the third you get act. some of that throughout the film, but it never really felt developed, which I agree yeah, with you. They, they banter with each other in the way that, you know, a 16 or eight, 17 year old girl and her older brother would would banter. That all works for me. But I feel like their relationship I could have used more of um, her relationship with each of her parents individually. I could have used more of because we get one scene with her mother individually, but I don't think we ever really get that same scene for her father. Usually you sort of have one character that you lean toward in this movie as the relationship. Uh, as far as like a parental figure. And I don't think we really get that, uh, which I would have liked more of. But I think all that stuff is not irrelevant, but I think the main point of the movie shines through. And it's that dilemma she has between finally doing something for herself and taking control of her own destiny and going off to college and doing what she wants to do, but also feeling that struggle of I have people who are counting on me. And at what point is at what point is it wrong of me to leave people behind? And also at one point, is it wrong of the people around me to expect this much of me? Because for her and literally her entire life from as soon as she could learn how to speak, I'm sure she had to be that interpreter for them. Like since she was, you know, four or five years old at the earliest, like she had to be that. And, you know, I can't imagine being a kid having to basically speak for adults the entire time being out of my depth and having to try and communicate like that with people it's difficult and you know in that sense i really empathize with her and i think that part of the movie shines through strongest and that's why i i ended up being a big fan of the movie even though there were some relationships and some plot lines i would have liked to see more fleshed out but i think the movie's like an hour 50 i wouldn't want it to be much longer it feels pretty perfect for its length but yeah i'm i'm a big fan of this movie overall uh i, I gave it four stars so I, I went a little bit above the nick I would recommend Coda. It's really good. It's on Apple TV. Apple TV Plus is pretty cheap. It's what, five bucks a month, I think. I think something like that. I don't pay for it. I use my friend. Thank you, Natalia. Yeah, yeah, I know you do. I think I will unsubscribe now because I resubscribed so I could watch Ted Lasso Season 2 and Tragedy of Macbeth and Coda. And I've watched all those now, so I think I'll probably unsubscribe for a little while. You tell me you're not going to watch the morning show? No, because that show doesn't exist. What do you mean? I've seen I've seen six episodes of that show. It clearly exists. Well, you watch a lot of stuff that I'm not convinced actually exists. That is true. Before you, the only the only people I'd ever seen talk about Morning Show were critics. And I don't even think I'd seen critics directly talk about it. It's just one of those shows that just got nominated for everything every year. I'm convinced it just doesn't exist and then it gets nominated for everything. Yeah, it, it's it's a money show. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. it's a money show. But uh I guess I can say I've been watching the morning show. So there you go. If that means anything. Sorry to hear that. You know, the only reason (laughs) why I started watching it was because Hasan Minaj got um, cast in the second season. So I just wanted to watch the show for him because go support my boy. His show Patriot Act on Netflix. I believe it was six seasons, seven seasons, something like that. Got canceled. He's back doing stand up. He's on the road right now. Go, go, go show your boy some love. I love him. I've never seen anything of him. Eh, It's perfectly fine. You won't like him. Okay. Talk about yeah, obnox- we'll obnoxious energy, Nick. No. Oh no. Big theater kid vibes. No, he was a debate kid. Oh, even worse. He learned how to do stand-up comedy from doing debate. So mm. I like him. Yeah. I was but... a debate kid and I made a lot of friends doing debate, but the people from other schools that I had to debate against, some of them, like most of them were really cool, but some of them were just like, I hate everything about you and I hate that you're gonna be more successful than me in life. That, that's how debate kids came off to me most of the time. I'll say if you can tolerate me, you can most likely tolerate him. But hmm. mm, can I tolerate you? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. think so. I don't mm. know. 15 episodes don't prove anything. Maybe 1500 then, uh, then I'll learn to tolerate Yeah, I think, I think we need to get to 1500 
Maybe mm-hmm. maybe someone buys out the show for nearly seventy billion dollars, and that's when we can yeah. decide. You know, if we actually... Nick and Manny Game Pass coming soon. <laughs> Nick and Manny Pass. That's when we die. <laughs> the show ends when we the show die. Finally ends. Yeah, the show ends when we die. That's the tagline for the show. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we were talking about Coda. I, I recommend it as well. But I'm also yes. I mean, the way that you felt about Macbeth is the way that I feel about Coda. I'm just kind of like, mm. eh, that's okay. Sad. Okay. I think we can move on to our main topic of the week now. Uh, so before we get any further, big fat spoiler alert for the entire Scream franchise here, especially the new one, Scream or Scream 5. Or 5 Cream. Um, 5 Cream. <laughs> yeah. Um, big fat spoiler alert. We'll go into general thoughts on Scream 5 at least and maybe some of the other ones because you ju- you've been watching those for the first time. I've only seen the um, first two, j- just for context. We were. Oh, oh okay, I saw okay, the okay. first two. Oh, <laughs> um, I will try and avoid spoiling three and four too heavily. I don't. Th- well, we'll talk about it, but I think I'll be fine only having seen the first one and then knowing what yeah. I do know about the future ones. I think I was perfectly fine. Yes, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, hey Nick, what's your favorite scary movie? Why, hello there, Cindy. Sydney. 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 <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite scary movie? Let me look over at my Blu-ray shelf. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Um, I think it's The Shining. Hmm. Oh, you didn't actually know that, did you? No, I I, I figured it was something that... Uh, something pretentious. Well, no, not pretentious. I don't like horror movies, so I don't know if I have yeah. a favorite horror movie. Like, I don't hate horror movies, but I didn't really watch any until college. It wasn't like I was actively avoiding them. I had just never been interested. You know, not something my parents watched, not something that... I never really hung out with friends in high school, so if I had friends that were into them, that wasn't something I did. One that I don't know if I like because it's a good movie or because I just had a really fun time watching it with friends was Annabelle Creation. Never seen that it. movie. Wasn't <laughs> terrible. I I guess I like Juan's films. Annabelle Creation wasn't terrible. We I still make jokes today because there's a running gag. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny, but you're following uh, a nun and her students i guess like future women to Mm -hmm. be nuns and so in catholicism you know you'd have your punishments and stuff so throughout the throughout the film she'd be like your punishment is to open six boxes and do four hail marys because they're moving into this new place so pretty much the rest of that school year we would just say something random like that to each other like your punishment is to unbox (laughs) 17 boxes and do 43 hail marys but um that's 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 your average youtube unboxer here yeah exactly i don't know i don't really have a list of favorite horror films but scream on the other hand screams up there for me is up there for me too now yeah we can talk about the entire series as a whole before we um before we get to scream five so uh, you just watched the first two for the first time recently. Yes. I think you already watched the first one twice. Yeah, I saw it twice in the week because I watched it to prepare for this one. And then my friend hadn't seen it. So we watched the first one again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched them all two or three months ago. I think October, November ish. My friend had given me the box set, which was only the first three. And then like that documentary that was called Still Screaming, something like that. Uh, that was what the box set was. So I had to buy Scream 4 individually on Blu-ray because uh, it's not available on any streaming services. But I finally bought them all and I watched the first one. And the first one, I still think, is the best one of the series. Spoiler alert for Scream 5. It doesn't quite reach number one. I, I love the first one. I think 
I think the whole approach of talking about horror movies in this way that's referential is really clever and something that I think only works in these movies. And I hate it in almost every other movie that it's ever in. Whenever movies get this meta and referential, it almost never works for me. But these all five of these screen movies, I love the way they incorporate uh, horror movies and just kind of movies in general, the different tropes. And I think it's very clever. Pretty much the entire series, I think, is just clever is the word I would use uh, as far as their meta approaches to things. I especially love it in the first movie. I agree. Having seen the first two, I really just, I don't want to say like, oh, I love how meta it is, but I do love how meta it is because there will be, I guess, spoilers for Scream 1 and 2. Um, the film's 26 years old. Go watch. Yep, 26 years yeah, old this go year. Watch, go watch Scream. It's great. It's on Peacock. Peacock right on now, the I believe. But Scream 1 has this entire idea of hey these are the tropes in horror films like they say oh it's just a bunch of big breasted women climbing up stairs and screaming and all other stuff but then you get to the end of the movie and that's what they're doing and i just love specifically jamie kennedy's character how he works at this store and he's giving like all mm -hmm. these reasons why it should be this person that is actually the killer but they pull it back on him and they're like well why wouldn't you be the killer he's like no, you were 100% right. I would be the killer in this kind of film. Like, this is why I would do it. Here's my motive and all these other things. And I just sort mm -hmm. of love how they're always addressing what the audience is thinking, most likely, about this movie of, oh, it's just going to be this. Oh, that could be the killer. Oh, this is the reason why. But in doing that, they throw you off the scent of who it actually is. I knew yes. who the first two killers were because I think it's kind of hard not to know who they are but yeah. even watching i knew it, one of the first two killers for sure i knew the second i, I don't one. think i knew there was a second one i knew about the second one because they were saying like well i can't be back for this movie because i'm dead which they <laughs> cannot be back for the for the fifth movie because they're dead i had known who both of the killers were and even watching that i was like no they're doing a good job of trying to establish this person's here at this time this person's here at that time there's you know, this person gets attacked here, this person gets attacked there, they're all in the same place at the same time. So I really did enjoy that aspect of the first one. Any good mystery in general is just full of good red herrings and characters having alibis and the screen movies are full of those. I completely agree. And we talked earlier about um, how True Grit in the first screen in particular, they just sort of move. And mm -hmm. those opening scenes are famous for a reason because they really just start you off in the movie and you're already going i think it's like they are all great all five of them are great yeah. no i enjoyed the i i like i did like the jada pinkett smith one in the in the second one in scream that, that's yeah, a good one good. Of, of them going to see the movie that one i did really like as well uh because even in the scream movies they're referencing the scream movies with the franchise stab so i did the stab movies, i did yeah. enjoy the way that those come up throughout the other films as well but yeah, the first movie really just moves. And that's something that mm -hmm. I enjoyed. I don't think like I would have noticed it if I didn't watch like a review of someone talking about uh, Five Cream where they're saying, you know, the, the first movie or pretty much any of us Craven's Scream movies, they never had a dull moment because they always just kept the energy going throughout the entire film. Yep. And I felt that especially with the first one of them starting mm -hmm. off and then each moment just sort of felt the right length in like for each scene each sequence felt yeah this is the appropriate amount of time that should be here this is the appropriate amount of time that should be here this is just 
very appropriate and tight is the word for how I would describe uh, Scream. Efficient is the word I, I I think of when I think of the Wes Craven. Like, I shouldn't say just the Wes Craven screams, um, but just pretty much every movie in the series, efficient is the word. Agreed. I don't feel like there's a wasted scene. I feel like all the performances are pretty good for the most part. Everything feels like it has a purpose, especially as far as the mystery goes. There's usually no wasted moment in that anything anything could be at least perceived as a red herring which i kind of like when you have a mystery like every movie is a mystery in this series it's good to have scenes like that so in that sense no moment's wasted and i appreciate that no i'm 100 with you and i felt like the characters were memorable like i might be that i've seen scream one twice in a week mm-hmm. but specifically matthew lillard He's Matthew Lillard, man. Like he's giving he's great. In he's everything. giving that wacky performance that only pretty much he could do in that film and get away with it. Yeah. He's sticking his tongue out a lot. He's my parents are gonna be so mad at me, man. <laughs> and just like yeah. the ad libs or whatever he's doing, like he brings Stu to life. Um, skeet, 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 skeet Ulrich in the first one. Famed Jericho actor Skeet Ulrich. <laughs> sure. Um. He's playing that sort of like moody, edgy boyfriend that's mad at his girlfriend. Oh, I hate for, his haircut oh, so I fucking hate the much, haircut. Manny. I hate it so much. I hate that haircut. Um, but he's playing like that <laughs> moody, edgy boyfriend that's mad that his girlfriend won't have sex with him, which mm-hmm. is a stupid reason in the first movie because she's like, well, you know, my mom died and I'm just not ready to get on with it. He's like, well, get over it. I want to have <laughs> sex, baby. I'm trying to get it in. But like even that, he brings that character to life. Jamie Kennedy. That scene from Scream Two of the of the film theory class, like that's been going around uh-huh. Twitter a lot yep. in the last couple of days. Like that's something that could only be possible in a Scream movie, in my opinion. Yeah. Thank you, Ridley Scott rules. Yeah, uh, which I know how you feel about Aliens versus Alien and all that stuff. So it's it's fun being yeah so much of those characters in my opinion because mm-hmm. there are times when i'm just acting like stew where i'm just sticking my tongue out or saying ridiculous things but there's also times where i'm feeling like uh i'm i'm forgetting his name what is his name meeks randy randy uh randy yeah, yeah. when i'm feeling like randy where i'm saying like no this is the way that it would go or being like a film buff and there's just a lot of fun things in those movies where i'm like no this feels tailored made for me and that's what i've heard about the screen movies is like if you like movies if you're a film nerd or any of these things you'll most likely love scream and they're right i love scream yeah the commentary of all the screen movies is like a perfect balance of talking shit on the shitty thing the shitty stuff that happens in movies the shitty tropes and all that but also having a genuine love and respect for movies as a whole like it's yeah. a perfect balance i think no i never felt even with Five Cream, which we'll get into in a little bit, even with what that wants to say, I never feel like it's taking jabs. It's pointing no. out the, I guess, absurdity in a lot of the topics that they're trying to cover with each of the films. Like the first one is the horror tropes, and you're pointing out the absurdity of them if they're done wrong and why trying to do something different is important with them and at the same time there's clearly a love for them what's craven's the horror director that a lot of people love and you see it when he's talking about like halloween or freddy krueger or or the different ways that those films were different but eventually just sort of went back to being same old garbage not garbage but the same old same old that each film does and i do like the way that each commentary isn't they're not trying to poke jabs 
but they are just trying to say, I guess, be better. Yeah, like you can always be better. Like in every, you know, I think we were talking about earlier, like just kind of feeling like a speck in in uh, in comparison to this vast world. One uh, horror movie series can't totally change the entirety of Hollywood. They can't change the way things are. Things are going to change over time and all that. And, you know, we can comment on it. We can. Uh, it's, it's like that meme of yet you participate in society, even though you say we should improve society somewhat. It's like we're still a movie in this world of, you know, reboot sequels and horror movie tropes, but we're going to still exist. We're, we're going to do some of this stuff, but we can also acknowledge that this stuff exists. Yeah. And I, I like that approach. If I were to describe Scream in one sentence, this is how I would describe the way that each film comes off to me. I would simply not do that, but I guess I'm built different. I'm that, built different. <laughs> that is the perfect way, in my opinion, to describe Scream, is them being like, I would simply just not do this, but I guess I'm built different. <laughs> but yeah, Scream, they're fun movies. I really have enjoyed them, and I can't wait to finish all four of them, now that I've seen five. Yeah, I think from this point on, we will get into full spoilers of like Scream 1, 2, and I'll, I'll probably mention 3 and 4 a little bit, not too much because I know you want to see them soon. Uh, and then from this point, we will also start getting into Scream 5 spoilers, I think. Yeah. Okay, so big fat spoiler alert, especially for Scream 5. We will pretty much talk about the whole movie. So turn away if you haven't seen it yet, if you want to see it soon. I I turned spoilers, like I muted the keywords on Twitter so I could avoid spoilers for this movie, and I'm very glad I did. So uh, this is your full warning. I think I've given enough uh, enough warnings. So... Uh, we should probably talk about our main characters. We haven't mentioned at all no. our three main characters in these movies, uh, Gale, Sidney, and Dewey. Dewey. Uh, all three of them. All three of them are delightful. You love Dewey in particular, don't you? I just like it. It's funny because David Arquette, right? A lot of people might know him as Mayor Dewey or uh, Deputy Dewey. I know him as the dad from Shark Boy and Lava Girl. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I know him as a WCW World Heavyweight Champion David Arquette from the year 2000. That's how I know him. The star of Ready to Rumble. Yeah, but watching him in these uh, movies, he's just delightful. I, I'm i sure a lot of people are like, oh, he's a dumb character. And I'm like, I don't think he's dumb as much as he is naive. And yeah. he's young, especially in the first movie. He's a mm. deputy. And like you see him say like, hey, when I'm here, mom says that I need to wear the badge and all these other things. So like he's trying to be... Um, he's trying to mature and grow into a lot of the roles that he's been put into, which watching an interview with David Arquette, he was saying like, one of the things that I relate to with Dewey is the way that people sort of treat him as an idiot or like a doofus and stuff, but he wants to be taken really seriously. And so that's something that I've liked about the character of Dewey personally. Yeah. Feels like he always has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because he knows how people perceive him. And I just like, you know, he's probably my favorite character, I would say. I think he's probably my favorite character just because there's never a point where I think he's remotely unlikable. He's always just lovable, I think is actually a better word for him. Yeah, completely agree. But we can't forget yeah. about Sydney and Gale. I, what did you mm -hmm. think about Gale in the first movie? Well, I think in the first movie, she's a bitch and she's supposed to be, but you're supposed to like... I think she might have, in terms of arcs, she might have actually the clearest one from the beginning of the first movie to the end. I agree. In two, she kind of regresses a little bit. And even in three and four, she kind of regresses a little bit. There's an overarching theme of the series about her sort of caught between two different worlds of like, you know, she loves Dewey or she just kind of 
there's there's a person she wants to be, uh, but there's also she can't escape what she is. And she she's always going to be that journalist talking for a story and she can't escape that. That's just something inherent within her. And in the first movie, she overreaches in that regard. And I think as the movies progress, she obviously matures more as a character like everyone else does. And I kind of like that arc for her because people do fall back into their their old, you know, their old shortcomings. I don't know if shortcomings is the right word. I don't know what the, the expression I'm looking for is, but people aren't perfect and they have flaws. And I feel like she's probably the best manifestation of, you know, people sort of having flaws that they'll fall back on over time. Yeah. No, uh, Courtney Cox, I've never really, to be fair, I haven't seen a whole lot with her. Um, I haven't either. I've, like I never watched friends I and I've never watch, really seen her. In any I didn't movies, watch really. friends. I didn't watch weeds, which I think was her other show. Um, so she wasn't, no, we, weeds with someone else. Are you sure? I could. It was Mary, uh, Mary Louise Parker. Mary Louise Parker. Really? I watched some of Weeds. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. It yeah. wasn't her. But uh, yeah, that just proves my point that I don't remember anything with <laughs> Courtney Cox in it. But I think she played the role great in the first mm-hmm. two and in the fifth one of her just being sort of this unlikable prick, especially in the first one of her always instigating a lot of things to get the story to be that journalist that wants to be on the front page and get all of these awards and the claim for their work. So I definitely felt that in the first two, but yeah, it definitely is that thing of she wants to be successful in her career, but as it goes on, she doesn't want to become a terrible person. Like we see her in the first. She's worried. She's worried about what her ambition will bring her, but it's ultimately not enough for her to stop being ambitious, I guess. Yeah. That's how I describe it to the point where she can never, you know, her and Dewey can never stay together for too never. long. No, and you know, for those two characters, you you want to see them together, but I th- I think it's good that ultimately they never really work out. They never fully connect, just because you know people are sometimes just. I, I don't mean it like as a joke here, but sometimes people are just built different from each other, and you're not totally compatible, even though you really desperately want to be. Yeah, sometimes you are who you are. And you just can't make it work. I appreciate it that. It makes sense for both of their characters to have that duty, not to themselves, but to their work. And I feel like that's something yeah. that is, I guess, like mature for these films is that they never oh, yeah. really have them stay together for too long because they know that it gets in the way of their work, their career, and what mm-hmm. they're trying to do. And being in a horror film, it's really smart that Dewey is just like no I have people to protect that I need to stay and do these things for like I can't just go and leave and so I really do enjoy that yeah and I will say before we start talking about Sydney um if you like Gale and Dewey together Scream 3 is mostly a Gale and uh Gale and Dewey movie because Nev Campbell couldn't film that much she's in the movie but I would say she's got like the third most screen time of the three she's kind of missing for a lot for parts of that movie um, so if you like Gale and Dewey, there's a lot of Gale and Dewey in Scream 3. They're kind of the those two hold that movie down gotcha. uh, considerably. But yeah, like their I've their relationship is probably my favorite part of all these movies. Um, Sydney, if we want to get to Sydney, she's a good character, but she's never been my favorite part of any of these movies. Me neither. She works as a protagonist, as a final girl, as a Scream Green, whatever you want to call her. And Nev Campbell's good. Like I I always enjoy like I enjoy all these movies. I'll say that. Um, but I guess what's actually happening first and foremost with Sydney herself has never really been the particularly interesting part. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't hate Sydney or anything like that, but it's really interesting the way that people are talking about Melissa Barrera in Scream 5. And they're like, oh, she's just a boring character for blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I kind of feel that way about Sydney, but 
I mean, like she works, she's charismatic. You do care for her because of the things that yeah. she goes through. And I like that the first one sets up again, spoilers, spoilers for the first movie sets up <laughs> that her mother was raped and killed a year ago. And that the reason why the killers are coming after all these people is a, they just want to have fun, but B they felt like Sydney's mom was, a slut and a whore and all these other things and that she was giving it too easy to people and ultimately the motivation of one of the killers i i'll just say it, the motivation for um her boyfriend skeet Ulrich, billy, billy yeah billy billy's motive um <laughs> no i went with billy's motive was that she was the reason why her mother left because her and um skeet i'm just calling him skeet skeet's father okay. um had an affair and that's sort of like why his mother left and he has abandonment issues and so i like the way that they tie things to sydney with the killers and that's something that i do find interesting about these movies rather than just going on a killing spree in some other movies they do try to make sure that the motives and connections to the characters are defined to get you to care about their survival. Yeah, these movies are formulaic in that every movie he'll get the reveal, he'll get the monologue of the motive of the commentary that this particular movie is talking about. And it's all like, I always enjoy that. But yeah, you the motives are kind of what make or break these movies and the reveals to me, because I will say if we want to move on to Scream 2 a little bit, I love Scream 2 up until the end. I think the last half hour, the reveals are both pretty weak. The two killers that we yeah. have. Well, I don't like the Scream 3 reveal that much, but I would say two or three, probably my least favorite reveals. And two might be my favorite movie in the series if it stuck the landing more. That reveal always kind of disappointed me. I called Tim the Elephant from the beginning. Laurie Metcalf is in there throughout the movie. She's like a, supposed to be a journalist, right? Yes. Okay. So I was going to say, there's no hints about Billy's, Billy's, <laughs> Billy's mother. mother. <laughs> there's no real, I don't think there's any real hints about her being Billy's mother throughout the movie. I mean, I guess her being there is just kind of it and... You're supposed to kind of suspect her, but I don't know. I feel like the actual Billy's mother angle ultimately feels a bit unnecessary for what these movies are about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just not that reveal isn't particularly satisfying. I think the reveal in three is probably weaker overall. I think three is the weakest of these movies. I will say most people seem to have that opinion. Um, three still good overall. I like I gave the first the first scream. I gave four stars. All the others I've given three and a half. All the scream five as of now is four stars. I'll see you. See how I feel about it down the line when I watch it again, because I'll, I'll watch it again. I'll watch all these movies a lot, probably. Yeah, I, I can definitely see this being a series that I come back to just yeah, regularly. Like I can see myself watching these movies every every single yeah, year. Yeah, me too. I, I've, I fell in love with these screen movies, um, mm -hmm. so I'm very excited. But I think we've said enough about the past. Let's look to the present. Oh, yeah. So I will say three and four. Three and four are both good. Four is actually especially good. I think four might have my favorite, other than the first movie, which is hard to top format had my favorite reveal mm. i would say it's hard to access for whatever stupid reason but watch scream 4 because scream 4 is good so scream 5 i guess we'll just go straight into spoiler thoughts i really enjoyed this movie me too i found a lot of the new characters to be really just enjoyable specifically the twins mm -hmm. the twins man yes, everyone's favorite are the I, twins. I love the twins and it helps that i like yeah. both of the actors already i like mason gooding from book smart and love victor and then i like um jasmine savoy brown from spider-man miles morales and the leftovers and all these other stuff but both of them mm -hmm. just have fun with these characters which i think is something that scream has always been which is fun and the characters yes. are so defined 
by something that they are. You might not think that um, Chad is really that defined or whatever, but he just brings such a charisma to the role. And I love when they go back to the house and they're having that party and he and he takes the shot and he's like, for Wes, that beautiful bastard. I, I Like, <laughs> those are like the simple yeah. things that I love about those characters. But I did... Which I yeah go ahead. Uh, I somehow didn't I did I somehow didn't make that for West connection until we got for West at the end of the movie. I'm like oh West Craven okay. I somehow I'm stupid but I didn't catch the West Craven part of that. Some of the names were spoiled for me early. It, not early. like yeah. they were spoiled for me beforehand. So I knew of the character West and I was like oh West Craven and that one I got pretty mm-hmm. quickly. And then Carpenter Sam Carpenter yeah Sam Carpenter, Carpenter I thought of after the fact. Yeah. So both of those were those the only two names? Uh, the only directly referential okay. ones I can think of. Actually, let me look on Letterboxd real quick just to be sure. So those two I knew going in. So I was just waiting to see who who was playing what role. But mm-hmm. even then, I was like, nah, that was a nice homage to a have Wes be a character and then have him get killed, which was done practically of the knife going through the. Yeah yeah i saw that i saw that knife go through i'm like i'm like that's got to be practical yeah i was looking at that too and i was like that that doesn't look fake that looks pretty real um the way they did it like i looked at and i'm like i can see where you would put a little pocket on his neck for the for the knife to go Mm -hmm. through but like it looks great yeah like it looks totally convincing and then the the scene with them giving the shot to wes I, i i enjoyed it i thought it was in good taste and i felt like that was something wes would have done in in these kinds of movies of like a famous director that he liked died he would have killed them and then done like an homage to them but i felt that it was very tasteful i really like the angle of hey toxic fandom i when we got that breakdown scene in the middle of the movie with um mindy going and talking about the requels at randy's sister's house oh I love that scene of them just being like, well, no, a requel is this, a sequel is this. You can't reboot anything because of this. Toxic fans hated Scream 8 because it was directed by that dude that did Knives Out. Justice for Ryan Johnson. I love this movie just yeah, for they that. Yeah, said, they said Stab 8, and it's like the eighth movie was the one that alienated the fans. I wonder who they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and then, and then like they said, was that the one directed by the Knives Out guy? I, it's yeah. pretty obvious what they're referencing, but I don't care because they're right. <laughs> again and that works in these, these movies, movies in particular yes, because yes. they've always been i don't th- so i don't think ryan johnson referencing the stuff he's on twitter and knives out works as well as these movies being what they are referencing that stuff for example yeah. no agreed but outside of that i liked i liked a lot of this movie i liked the opening yeah. scene i did i did Sorry. i did want to say uh with the whole fandom angle the issue the issue i had with it and i didn't i didn't think about this fully until i saw someone review the movie like on letterboxd or somewhere all the other movies have uh, scream 4 is kind of different but all the other movies have commentary on horror movies in particular and their tropes and how people you know how kids it's sort of like the violent the violent video game argument where they're like kids are way too much into the violence of these movies and all that it's usually about horror movies but this movie was about movies in particular just the whole state of the industry as opposed to just horror tropes and i still don't know exactly where i fall on that i feel like being scream it should be more focused on horror and you get that whole elevated horror joke 
which is good. But I feel like that isn't the focus of the movie. And I would have been more interested in that angle, I think. I think that's fair for me. I could see that argument, but I also just feel like they've always been homages and love letters to movies in general. They may focus specifically on horror films, but I feel like you could just take those things and say, like, well, if you put it in a romantic comedy, say, if they focused on those, it would still be a very similar kind of feeling movie. So I can see that. But for me, that wasn't a big issue for me personally. Yeah, not not an issue. It's something that I just something thought of. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. I don't know where I fall on it even at this point. But it's just interesting because that's something that sets this movie apart from the others is that it mostly just talks about movies as they are today as a whole, which I found interesting, at least. It's different than what they usually go for. But I still I still appreciate the angle overall. Yeah, me too. And I think it's a decent enough motive for our killers when they get revealed. Is that they're just toxic fanboys who met on Reddit. I love that they I love that line that they're like, yeah, we met on Reddit. See, that's kind of I'm like, I like the angle, but I don't know if I like the execution because it and it's really weird because I was saying like, yeah, down with the fandom. But then at the same time, I'm like, all right, this just feels really obvious that it would be like, oh, yeah. we're fans and met on Reddit and we're making a sequel. But I do like the whole angle of, well, no, this character, Sam, she's the daughter of Billy's daughter. Um, <laughs> It's Billy's daughter. And it's yeah. an interesting angle to take it. And there is, I do like that line where Nev Campbell comes up to her and she's like, so you don't think it's awkward that I'm Billy's daughter? And she's like, listen, not really. And there are like some things like that, but I did like the angle of them being like, well, what way, what better way to make a, a reboot of the Scream murders in Woodsboro than to have Billy's daughter be the person that we're killing and her be the main character and antagonist of the fans uh -huh. and all these other things. So I don't know how I feel about the execution of it. I think on a whole, I'm generally positive, but some of it just didn't really land for me uh, in regards to the reveal of the motive and the exposition yeah. of that was really long and i don't feel like we need mm -hmm. as much exposition because so much of it was set up earlier in the film i feel like you could have cut it down a little bit and it would have worked a little bit better it's not my favorite reveal in the series by far but i i do enjoy it overall i think again it works for what this movie is yeah and this movie is a requel so i completely yes. get that yeah i, I was going to talk about sam uh, melissa Barrera's character a little bit I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of with people where I'm just like, she was, I don't know if disappointing is the word. She's just kind of fine. Like, it was just fine. Um, the Billy's, the Billy's daughter angle, I would have been happier with if they devoted more, to, more to it. Because we pretty much don't get much from her. We know that, you know, she's taking meds and that it's fucking with her head. She's seeing hallucinations of a creepy CGI Skeet Ulrich. But I feel like we don't get enough of that manifested throughout the movie. We get her outburst at the end where she kills Richie. Uh, and she goes crazy and she says, don't fuck with a serial killer's daughter, which is a great line. But I feel like we needed more of that part throughout the movie. It just feels like a weird message that she's trying to run away from being a serial killer's daughter. And then at the end, she just totally embraces it. And her weird vision of her father almost looks like he's proud of her. Yeah. Even though we're supposed to still like her as a character, it just feels like a weird disconnect in that regard. And I think more more development of that throughout the movie of what her you know, what her psyche is like, what that dynamic is like, I would have preferred. I see that, but I also see it as the thing of, 
well, she is disconnected because she is trying to suppress this side of her. I don't want to speak for people that have been on antidepressants or ADHD medication, but being on those kinds of medications does take something out of you um, sometimes, depending on which one it is. So I'm so the way that I interpreted it was that she is disconnected, A, from this side of her, but B, just sort of emotionally distant and doesn't want to give into that side because of who her father is, which we do get throughout the entire film. And I think by the end of it, she's put in a situation where she just has to accept it because she's being attacked by a murderer that's trying to kill her. And she just sort of has to accept it the way that Sydney did with Billy in the first one. Like she just stabbed Billy with a, with an umbrella a bunch of times. So I do think for me, it worked, but I can see where it doesn't for some people. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's a weird message that she does that. Because to me, that shouldn't be a triumphant moment. It should be like, this is what I had to do. But it feels like the movie plays it off more as a triumphant moment. Kind of like Sydney's is more of a triumphant moment in the first movie. But I don't know. It just feels like if this is the whole angle that the movie is, then it shouldn't feel triumphant. And I feel like they want it to be. So that's where I feel a disconnect in the story. Yeah, but... I was just gonna say her performance was was like decent. I've I haven't been blown away by her in in the heights or in this, but she's she's solid. I don't think she'll become like an iconic character necessarily. We'll see if we get more movies. This one did pretty well, so I'm sure we will. Um, and maybe she'll she'll grow on me over time because I assume she's gonna be back in the next one. Yeah. Which I'm just in general, I'm curious to see what the next one will be. Whether we get Gail and Sydney at all for one it feels like a natural transition if they're handing uh, handing the baton off, or I think they had to line. Uh, were they like pa- oh passing, passing the torch, the torch yeah. which, which passing with, the torch which is when um ah uh, mikey madison amber uh, yeah amber played by mikey madison when she gets on fire for the second movie after she was on fire in once mm-hmm. upon a time in hollywood yeah they did the passing of the torch line which i i do agree with you i think this was a good stopping point for both of these characters and dewey which rest in peace dewey he had the han solo um fate went out like a champ my, my man gets gets stabbed ridiculous amounts of times throughout all these yeah movies i did like that one. line where, he, where he's like i've been stabbed nine times as soon as he uh stayed on that floor and let the elevator close i'm like conventional wisdom tells me he's dead here but it's also dewey and he survives way too much i wasn't convinced he was dead even after they rolled his body out on the gurney i'm like i could see a third act comeback for dewey here just because he's dewey but i'm glad that they didn't go that route and it was a good death for him yeah. And I also, again, going back to that relationship, I also like, I love their scene together, the one scene that they have. Um, I think, you know, David Arquette and Courtney Cox, they went through a divorce not too long ago. I'm sure there were some real feelings there that they got to work through in that scene together. And I just felt it was palpable and felt it was real. But yeah, their one scene together, the fact that, you know, they don't get to properly reconcile before he goes, like that's, you know, that's heartbreaking. And I think that's, if anything were to properly actually convince Sidney to come back, that would be it. And I like that that's what it took to bring her back. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I feel like the way that each of them was integrated actually worked out pretty well. It wasn't so much yeah. of like, oh, we're all coming back for this. Like, Gail came back because of a story, but also because she cares about Dewey and she wants to make sure that he's safe. Yeah, Sydney's like, if this happens to Dewey, then it's then it's worse than ever yeah, almost. Sydney's like, I don't want to come back. I have kids. I hope they no. are fine, but please just stay safe and don't you know do this but he ultimately is like well shit i'm the one that has to go do this i'm the most connected Mm -hmm. i've been here longest i know the way that this works and he's ultimately the one that's like 
all right, I'll go. And by the end of it, it is, it's a good character arc for him and for the others because yeah. they're, I feel like, and I haven't seen three or four, so I can't really speak on that, but I feel like everyone has sort of taken Dewey for granted. And this is, yep. I feel him getting to ride off in the sunset on a triumphant, like, yeah, I was this character for this movie and it was good. Yeah. And I like that. He makes Richie from second one. He's like, always suspect the boyfriend, you know, for anyone who thought he was dumb. He he knew who it was from the start, which I feel like we all knew who it was from the start. But yeah, like Christian Wanger said, like six months ago, he's like, I think it's Jack Quaid. And I'm like, probably I don't fucking know. Yeah. As soon as I saw he was the boyfriend, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's probably he's probably the killer. But I will say they did a great job of red herrings with him. Because by the end, I was actually convinced he wasn't. Me too, because I did like that line. <laughs> Again, the twins are the best part of the movie for me. But when he's like, do you want to come down? Do you want to come down yeah, into yeah. the basement? He's like, why would I want to go down? And then uh, he's like, listen, I just thought I would ask. And he's like, I'll be right back. Eh, eh, hey. eh. <laughs> I don't know. The twins were the best part of the movie for me personally. Yeah. Again, I love yeah, them. Same. They're, they're fun. But speaking of fun... I like the kills in this movie. Oh, they they go hard. I was that person that was laughing with glee in this movie when a kill happened. You didn't laugh at Dewey, did you? No, 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 not not at Dewey. Dewey, okay, okay, Dewey okay. I was like, oh man, that's sick. But at the same time, I'm like, not you're, you're Dewey. Not, you're not a sick fuck. Yeah, yeah, I'm that person. But when um, but when Stu's is it nephew cousin? His nephew. I don't remember them. I heard people talk about this after. I don't remember the movie ever saying that he was related to they Stu. They do, because they're going through, like, the examination of the people that are, that they've killed. And, like, yeah, this person was Stu's nephew or something like that. Um, mm. but Yeah, he, I, I totally missed but that. he just gets a little poke in the neck. <laughs> and I found that mm-hmm. so funny. I don't know why. But yeah. to me, Ghostface has always been funny with his kills. And I yeah. love that kill in particular when Dylan Minnette's character gets killed and the way that they killed the and the way that they killed his mom of her running back into the house and he just comes up in front and stabs her in front of the oh mm-hmm. good 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 kills all around all stabs are different for people but it feels inconsistent like some people die with one stab uh like did, did he stab uh the sheriff he didn't stab her more than once did he uh i don't remember i'm misremembering that i don't remember yeah because like sydney gets stabbed in every movie but she usually just gets stabbed once i think i could be wrong um you know dewey gets stabbed a hundred times but like gail gets shot in this movie sydney gets stabbed and it's like they're fine but other characters they're just fucked yeah chad also gets stabbed a couple times in the movie and he walks out of the movie fine he survives mindy walks out of the movie i didn't i couldn't make out exactly what happened to her i don't remember either i think she just gets hit really hard maybe she did get stabbed but it was clearly nothing that serious because i was like no she's still alive even before we saw the ambulance and stuff i was like she's still alive but i didn't know about chad Mm. yeah chad's girlfriend the one who they say is too boring to be the killer i actually as soon as that line happened i thought oh there's a good chance she she might be the killer and they did they did a good job with her and i love that we you know Ghostface stabs people, but I fucking love that she shoots her right in the Me head. Too. It's a great kickstart to like the full on third, third act climax of yeah. the movie. I think part of the fact that Ghostface stabs everybody is that moments like that really hit for you. So am I the only person that thought that Sonia Amar and some look like Samara weaving? Like I went through that entire movie thinking it was who's uh, that? Uh, uh, Chad's girlfriend. The bo- I, I thought okay. that she the was per- Samara weaving. Pink hair girl. Yes. I don't really know Samara Weaving that well, so... Just look up a photo of Samara Weaving and tell me that they don't look similar. Anyway, um, that was the thing that I was like, that's not Samara Weaving? 
I feel like I, if Samara Weaving were in the movie, I would have heard about it, and I hadn't. Yeah. So I just and, and for some yeah, reason like, I distinctly I remember hearing Samara Weaving was in this movie, but it might have been for something else. Hmm. Anyways, it's not Samara Weaving, but that's not the point. Um, yeah. I did like just how many times people just flat out shot each other in this movie. I love the scene where Amber comes out and she's like, "Help, please!" And Sydney and Gail oh, are like, I "Fucking like that." What do you think? It's like it's fake. you buy it. And then Amber's like, "Oh, screw this!" And she just shoots them. And I, <laughs> she shoots. Gail, I just yeah. like the the amber in specific isn't afraid to just shoot people and kill them point mm-hmm. blank with everyone knowing that's what i've enjoyed yeah there's like good plants plants and payoffs throughout the whole movie too like the inhaler in the first scene i'm like that's gonna come into play in the third act i just know it in some capacity she's gonna need her inhaler which was weird i think that was my first clue that uh our victim in the opening scene doesn't actually die in this movie yes i was also gonna say well that i was also spoiled by um actually by the actress because she was saying like yeah you know like that was my first day on set or she was talking about like something later and i was like oh okay so you're alive throughout the rest of this movie um (laughs) so this is what i get for not watching or reading interviews i was i I wasn't looking for any of these they just showed up but um sad yeah whatever uh anyway we didn't even talk about her i think she's really good in the movie jenna ortega plays sam's sister tara yeah it was it was weird like i don't know if it's just that uh, in the hospital she doesn't have her makeup on anymore but like first scene i'm like yeah that's a teenager that's like a high schooler in the in the hospital she seems like she's 12 and through the whole rest of the movie she feels really young she has a baby face yeah yeah she looks like she legitimately looks like she's in middle school for the rest of the movie in the opening scene i'm like yeah she's a high schooler everyone else in the movie looks way older than they are like Melissa Barrera is supposed to be 23 in this movie. She's supposed to be my age right now, and she's like 31. All those kids are supposed to be 17. I don't buy it, but, but that's maybe a- that's the fact that I'm I'm at the point where I'm older than high school kids, and I'm looking back at what me and my friends looked like in high mm-hmm. school. I'm like, we, we all look younger than everyone in every movie oh, ever. Oh, yeah, but I also feel like that was a thing with the first Scream as well. I didn't buy that any of them were teenagers. They oh, were no. all, you know, 27, 26, playing younger, so <laughs> yeah. I it's the typical hollywood casting 30 olds to play teenagers but at least here it's consistent in that they all look like they're 25 except for jenna ortega who's 19 Mm -hmm. but she definitely does have a baby face um especially in the hospital i was honestly confused about the ages for a while i'm like are these kids in college because they all look so old because i've seen i think all of these actors except for sonia amar all of them have been playing teenagers for the last like five years in movies so i'm like no they're still playing teenagers it's what it is and i've just come to accept that but at least here it's consistent and that they all look like they're 25 playing you know uh-huh. high schoolers but that was the least of my yeah. concerns but jenna ortega is really good in the movie yeah no everybody everyone's I don't, good i don't think, I don't like think a weak link in this movie link. i i agree with you yeah like, i think they all play pretty much words. everybody's always good in the screen movies though mm-hmm. i think like pretty much in all of them like even in three which i don't like as much i think everyone does perfectly fine in yeah, three i think they're all just having fun which is i mentioned earlier it's a big yeah. thing with scream to have fun with the characters and the roles yes but they're all just having a lot of fun being on this set if you're being a scream queen yeah. which i said this earlier i think this is the year of jenna ortega being the disney star that becomes a mainstream hit she's an ex and she's in the aftermath it's a movie with her and maddie ziegler and they're reeling with the effects of a school shooting that's happening. That's my prediction for this year. But outside of that, I think Mikey Madison is just having fun playing a psychopath again, like she did in mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I called her in the opening scene. Me too. As soon as 
yeah, as soon as he was like, here's Amber and I'm using Amber's phone. I'm like, yeah, she gave you her phone. Yeah, <laughs> I just or, yeah, I just knew at that point. And they were they were weird it. about Amber the entire movie. No, 100%. That, that, that was yeah. I think after, like, oh, she has issues with Sam and all this. Yes, 100 percent. They made it very in my opinion, they made it obvious that it was yeah. her. But I think after the whole rundown at Mindy's house where we don't see Sam or not Sam, where we don't see Amber for like 45 minutes, I'm like, all right, so you're the killer. That was pretty <laughs> yeah. obvious, but Jack Quaid, I was kind of on the fence on, which Jack Quaid is good here again. He he keeps playing this character, which I don't mind, but I can see where some people might, but he's good in it. Everyone else, I think they're having fun with the roles for the limited time that they're on screen and trying to make the most out of it, and I think they all do really good. Uh, I had one question, I guess. At the risk of focusing too much on the past, would you have liked an actual scene between Sydney and her family? No. Because it felt weird to me that I assumed we would have cut back to her and seen her husband, but like it almost just felt weird to me. Like she almost almost felt short shanked in this movie because she's the star of this franchise, mm-hmm. and it almost it was bordering on almost not enough of her. I think if they showed her family, they would have been more of like, oh, she's gonna die this time. Because if you see a family and someone's like, I don't want to get back into this, chances are that they're gonna die. And so I don't think that they wanted to try to bring up those thoughts of oh, she'll die at the end of this movie. Like, everyone else is going to die in a Star Wars film or whatever. They just wanted no, to have her actually... come in and... Oh, you wanted her to die? Well, no, 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 I don't want her to die. I'm just saying the fact that you would think that it would be more convincing that she might die to people, to me, that's a good thing. If you're more convinced that your protagonist could actually die in this movie, to me, that's... A... Well, she's not the protagonist anymore, Yeah, I was but... going to say, she's not the protagonist. Like, for me, this isn't her story. It's her, yeah. like, epilogue of this, of being, like basically we're ending this tonight and i mm-hmm. for me it didn't bother me but i can see where you're coming from if you wanted more uh to latch onto with that character in this movie yeah it's not it's not necessarily that i wanted more i was just i think i was surprised by the decision to not give us more because like by comparison we got more especially of dewey because dewey was actually interacting with the other characters in the first half of the movie both dewey and gail felt like we got more in that regard than we got in sydney if we want to talk about uh star wars and force awakens comparisons this is totally Dewey is Han, Gale is Leia, they've broken up between movies, and Sydney is Luke Skywalker and that you don't get much of them in the first movie. Yeah. It's like, it's, I mean, those are kind of that how those archetypes always were, but it's funny how they're like all in their Force Awakens starting positions almost. Yeah, it is a, a nice, not nice, it, it is a thing that is prevalent in the movie of them sort of mimicking that while also doing the commentary on that, but yeah. yeah. I think it's missing social commentary i think by comparison and it's talking about fandom but it's still kind of related to to movies um i think scream 4 when you watch it it has great social commentary beyond just movies and i actually i actually like i think that angle the most of any of these and the first one too because it's like i said it's kind of like the violent video games thing there is a point where people are like violent horror movies are corrupting our children i like those angles where it actually talks about not just movie stuff but also beyond yeah which i can totally get i've seen people say like the commentary is there but it's surface level and it isn't trying to do anything other than call out this specific thing so i've seen that before but i think that's that's probably where you know you're missing that west craven touch here um these guys the two directors seem to love scream this is a love letter in a good way not like in a oh they have nothing more than nostalgia kind of way this is a good love letter to scream uh, but I think you're probably missing just that little bit with Wes Craven not being here. Anymore. Not as clever, which I which yeah. I agree with. It's not as clever. But but, but I will say yes. better and more clever than I 
thought it would be for sure. I thought this movie would suck. Honestly, before I heard the reactions to it, I was expecting it to be bad. Yeah, well, I think when we saw the trailer, both of us were like, yeah, this looks, you know, not great and it'll just be throwaway or whatever. But I think this is a good, in my opinion, I know that some people have had different reactions to it, which is perfectly valid. I've enjoyed it and I feel like this was a good requel an end to the Prescott and Gale Weathers storyline and Dewey, of course. So I, I liked it. I think it was pretty good. I did too. I'm just happy with it. Like all in all, like Me it's too. Uh, again, sort of how I felt about Force Awakens when I'm like, I'm just happy you're not bad. Like yeah. the fact that you're actually really good is almost the icing on top of the fact that you're not bad. Yeah. And the fact like, like I was saying, I was smiling throughout this entire movie of just mm-hmm. enjoying the ride of going along with it. So I think, oh yeah, going back to saying like, oh, it doesn't just rely on nostalgia. I think for me personally, I think it relies a little bit too much, j- just a little bit, a little bit too much on the nostalgia of the first one personally. But I just felt like there was a little bit too much retread and it might be that i've seen it that i've seen the first one twice in a week but yeah. there were a couple of things where i'm like all right cool that that's we're back doing the first one again different dialogue maybe updated visuals maybe but we're back doing the first one so that yeah. would just be my thing but it might be because i've seen the first one twice in the same week if there's a point that i think it's too much on the nostalgia it's the not, not even nostalgia it's just like oh this is what modern movies do it's just the fact that she's billy's daughter at all like you are specifically going back to the one that everybody likes for one the only way you can you feel like you can continue this franchise to have some familial connection to what came in the past like that's what ghostbusters did that's what star wars did you know that's how movies are and to me in that particular case it feels like them falling into the trap without realizing it even though otherwise it feels like they sort of know that they're doing some of the stuff that they criticize it feels like this is one that maybe they shouldn't have done i guess no, yeah, I, I'm with you there. I completely get that. Maybe that's what it was, but we didn't even talk about CGI Skeet. But I mentioned CGI Skeet. Yeah, we, we didn't mentioned talk him, about it. It looks bad. Yeah, oh, I was like, it just was looks like, unnatural. He didn't need to do that. Just have him shave. Have him be old. Let it be. Let him be old. Let him be yeah. old. I'm in favor of let him be old. Whatever they made the decision they made. He's in it more than I thought he was gonna be. Mm-hmm. He's um, got like three scenes. The hospital on a twenty-four million dollar budget. You did you did CGI de aging for three different scenes on a twenty-four million dollar budget. That's that's a choice. Yeah, it was three scenes because it's the hospital, the car, and the car, the, and then the house. the house at the end. Yeah, I know both of us have been pretty positive on this movie. We both recommend yeah. you guys go see it. If you haven't seen it and you're listening to our spoiler and, discussion, and we spoilers. don't know what you're doing. <laughs> but yeah, but we both enjoyed Scream Five Five Cream as i've been calling five, it five cream which, which i would give it f- i would give it four creams out of five i'm leaving that one clean for you yeah pull a block. <laughs> um i did i did see melissa barrera she did post a photo of something like that that had like hashtag five cream and i was like justice yeah. for five cream because <laughs> just call it scream five but put the five and i don't care it's the same thing with yeah. Fant four stick or whatever or scree form yeah scream four is scree form. form yeah exactly just, just just call it scream five I'm, I'm tired yeah. of this kind of thing, but anyways. I, I do appreciate that they at least made a joke about the title. They did. They're like, you yeah, can't even call Halloween that. Halloween without calling it Halloween 2018. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, that, that's funny. They know what they're doing. 
which I think video games are worse about that, but yeah, like Call of Duty still... Modern Warfare 2019 or Tomb Raider 2013, Doom 2016. You just have to start Doom using the year now. Yeah. Yeah. Although those are full reboots, this is a requel, so it is still a sequel. Yeah, I'm with you because Doom 4 isn't Doom 4. It is a reboot of Doom. And Tomb Raider 2013 isn't even really Tomb Raider until Tomb Raider 3 is when it really becomes Tomb Raider. Up until then, it's still Lara discovering all this stuff. But anyways, I enjoy the Tomb Raider three threequel trilogy of games <laughs> but that's not what we're here for um scream no. five we both enjoy it we both recommend it you guys should go see yeah. it but nick is that it i think that's it i think i talked about scream five as much as i wanted to i'm sure there's stuff that i'll forget as soon as we're done here but i took a couple notes and i got through all my notes on this movie so i think i'm good yeah i think i'm good as well so guys all of our links to stuff are down in the description nick has his link tree i have my link tree i mentioned earlier that i'm working on my capstone film directing that so there is a gofundme down in the description if you feel inclined to donate if not i completely understand and just listening to this episode is enough support from you guys i truly do mean that but that's gonna be it for this episode but we'll see you guys next time love you all